in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Orange is lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's mind. I'm Chad Bogleman. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 250! Woo! Woo! Never thought <laughs> we'd make it this far. <laughs> yeah, we are, uh, we're, we're, we're here, we're, we're, we're doing it. We brought one of our favorite people on. Uh, not sure if we're one of his favorite people, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> At least I am, Chad. <laughs> I like Mark. <laughs> See? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not as passionate about Star Wars as you guys. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I got the Blu-ray for my birthday. I, can't... I haven't watched it, but I have <laughs> That's actually true. I've been caught up uh, catching up on um, the other present I got, which is season five of Game of Thrones. That's not here right there. And I was just winging that too, Ryan, and look how right I was. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, you're my co-host. You know me. So what? That is true. That is true. <laughs> so... We are talking about something we haven't talked about ever on this show. Well, I mean, we've talked about it tangentially, obviously, but never actually covered. We are talking the – I've been always calling it just the, the title of it, never included the – the final night. The 1990 event, uh, 1996, late six. Yep, 1996, well, slash 97 event, the final night that took place in DC Comics – where the sun went out for a little while. It got better. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> spoiler alert. Unlike Hal, more spoiler alert. <laughs> but he got better too. It just took longer. It's one of the bigger stories uh, in Green Lantern uh, history. And we figured it was absolutely time we cover it. And why we have Ryan on in particular, he, he expressed a certain interest in this story. Yeah, I think it was my idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually Ryan's idea that we talk final night. Yeah, I think I said if you guys ever cover this one, you know, keep me in mind because I really like the story. So I didn't know you were going to make it like a milestone episode, but yeah, cool. <laughs> You're well, welcome, America. <laughs> it, was on, it, was, it was on the list and it was coming up and, you know, you're always busy, so why not? So what we're going to do is we're covering the final night event itself, which is four issues a four-issue miniseries from DC Comics. We're also including in that ish, uh, in this coverage Green Lantern number 80, which is a Final Night tie-in, and the Final Night Parallax Emerald Night one-shot as well, because obviously it's Parallax. We need to house perspective on things. So we, we, we absolutely need to include that in our story. So 
We've got six issues all told to cover. I'm taking issue one. Ryan is taking two and three. I'm taking Green Lantern number 80, and Mark is finishing things out for us with the Parallax one-shot and issue number four. So, without further ado, before I, before I get into it, I just, you know, it, it seems sort of customary. It's a big event. What is everybody's, I'm just going to ask you guys, what is what is your memory of this event, you know, like heading into it? Like whether you got into, you were reading comics as it was coming out or you came into it later on? I'll, I'll go first as your guest because, you know, I've earned it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was kind of fading out of comics around this time. I didn't go away for very long, but the very late 90s, early 2000s, I'd kind of dropped off for about two or three years. Um, But during the time that this was coming out, I was not reading a whole lot of DC, kind of picking up occasionally the Batman titles or one or two other things, but I was more into Marvel, but even I was getting out of Marvel, so I was getting more like Dark Horse stuff, you know, more of the indies. But... I picked up this one mostly because of the cover to issue one. I really like the cover, and the guy who was working at the store said it's going to be a month-long event, four issues. It'll be done in a month, once a week. And I was like, you know what? I can commit to that. That sounds pretty reasonable. So, yeah, I I got this one every week that it came out. I got the Parallax one-shot when that came out because I heard how critical it was. And I was really digging the story. This was, in some ways, this was my introduction to a lot of DC characters who I might have heard of, I might have known from other events or, like, recognized them through cartoons or other comics, but they were in such weird places at this point in their history. Um, and, And kind of coming at it from a Green Lantern background, I hadn't read very many Green Lantern comics at this time, I knew who Hal Jordan was because of the Super Friends cartoon and the Superpowers, or yeah, the, the Superpowers toy line. But I think one of, if not maybe the first Green Lantern comic I picked up was Green Lantern issue 50, which was the end of uh, Emerald Twilight, where Parallax, where he becomes Parallax and goes bad, and then like Kyle, Kyle's journey begins. So these two stories kind of bookended how I felt about Hal Jordan for a time or how I felt about the Green Lantern comics, which was sad because I always liked him because he was the first Green Lantern that I knew of. And it felt like the ones I was reading were kind of the one where he goes bad and then the one where, well, we'll we'll get to what happens to him at the end of this episode. But so, yeah, it was the I, I kind of considered this an unofficial Green Lantern story. Um is sort of what what the kind of culmination of Hal Jordan's journey as Parallax. But I also thought it was a cool little, very small, very contained DC Universe event. I was, this was probably, this was right around the time when I started really getting back into comics. There was a time when I kind of late, mid to late 80s, I kind of, I was out of it. And then I slowly started getting back into it and I, the reign of the Superman started getting me back into it, certainly from a DC point of view, and that led to Green Lantern, and of course that led to the rest is history. But so this was, yeah, this was kind of when I was really, really getting getting back into comics, and and Parallax was very, very important to me. So needless to say, the way the way everything played out in this was, <laughs> especially back in the days pre you know pre internet and everything, it, it, it kind of it kind of broke my heart, but. <laughs> But it still was a good Hal story, unlike I mean, a good Parallax story, unlike 
kind of what we get these days, and there's some really cool points, especially as we get in the last couple of issues, some really good quotes, which people who write Parallax going forward should really pay attention to, because they kind of sum up what the essence of the character was, at least back when the character was first created. So, uh, for, for me, I obviously, you know, listeners to the Lanterncast know well, uh, and everybody else probably who's ever heard me talk on a podcast, um, know very well that I started reading regularly with the Final Crisis stuff, uh, the Rage of the Red Lantern stuff. Um, and obviously one of my first trades prior to that, the thing that got me into regular issues was Rebirth. Um, so, and I guess now I got to say Green Lantern Rebirth, the one that started off now that DC is doing a whole thing on Rebirth, but whatever. <laughs> um, so within that, you know, I obviously, you know, kind of picked up some context clues and, and moved on. And when you're going through the, the, the history of stuff, you know, I just, I was just enjoying the Jeff Johns run for a while, but then I started getting more and more curious, you know, because Jeff Johns, while he was adding a whole lot of new he never completely got rid of the old, you know? I mean, he, you know, he had Guy, in Rebirth, he had Guy Gardner blow up so he could get rid of the whole Voldarian thing, and he, he, you know, kind of picked and choose, but he didn't just completely forget about it. He tried to explain in some way or another. So you always had this sense of, while reading something really new, really fresh, really hot at the time in comics, of some history and something that had happened before. That not necessarily critical to what you're reading now, but it's in the back of your mind. So for a while there, while I was fresh getting into comics, I was thinking of, I really want to know what happens to Hal between the moment he becomes Parallax and the moment he becomes Spectre. Like, I want to know all of that stuff in between. And I wanted to know more about the Spectre stuff after a while, but for me... In particular, I wanted everything to do with Hal Jordan from Emerald Twilight until the moment he dies and, and or becomes Parallax. I mean, uh, Spectre. And, of course, the final night event, you know, you, you do a quick Google, you figure it out. The final night event is really pivotal to all of that. So that's how I discovered it. And as far as the what I thought of it, you know, before even reading it, I have no particular attachment to this event. You know, the art is kind of meh uh, for me personally. Uh, and we'll obviously get into all that, so I won't dwell on that any longer than that. But I have no particular attachment to the event. But for some reason, I have a fascination with the concept because I own not just a miniseries. I own, and I've got a stack of floppies here. I've got every single tie-in except for like three or four I haven't been able to find. Uh, and we'll get into the tie-ins later on uh, for two seconds or five minutes. I have no idea how long we're talking about this. But I've, for whatever reason, I've been compelled to get all the tie-ins. And I've, it's led me to get things that I never would have gotten, like an issue of Hitman or Sovereign 7. So <laughs> uh, I, I have those dark blots on my uh, comic collection because of this event. But, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of – it's it's this sort of – enigmatic little story that while it holds no like personal just like you know like i'm reading it and just create excited about the creativity happening in it the actual overall arcing, arcing storyline the concept really draws me in so 
That's that's my history with Final Night. It's certainly not your typical DC event. No, it's actually kind of a mini crisis, and we'll get into that. But um, so just kicking things off, we'll start off with issue number one. Just to say, the miniseries uh, written by Carl Kessel, Kessel, penciler Stuart Eminen, inker Jose Marzan Jr., Lee Lowridge, Lowridge is the artist, uh, the colorist, and then a few others I won't mention. <clears throat> we don't need the editors and stuff. Uh, we open up in Metropolis. The city uh, is bright, shiny. Uh, there's all of a sudden there's a dark spot on the sun, and the people down below are commenting on it. Uh, they think it's eclipse or something like that. Uh, it is actually not. It is a crashing ship, a ship that's been been monitored by Star Labs ever since it's entered into the uh, I guess the range of their their spectrometers or whatever. Um, it crashes down into the bay. But because it's been monitored all this time, there's time enough to respond, and a group of heroes has shown up, uh, including Superman and the Legion. Yes, the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, out comes this woman. Uh, she points up this, to the sun, speaks in an alien tongue. Nobody can understand her except, of course, the Legion, uh, who has their translators on, and they say, oh, we, like, God, I wish we didn't understand her, because the uh, as uh, Kaz says, legend has it the darkest night took place within a few centuries of the second millennium, but he, then they start talking about how it's just a kid's story and blah, blah, blah. And then Superman's like, well, you want to clue me in? And they say what Kaz does is he has Irma, uh, Saturn girl, kind of telepathically communicate with this alien and kind of link everybody together so that she can be understood, uh, sort of act as a way, uh, a way link between them. Uh, and that's when this person is revealed to be Dusk. And what Dusk is telling them is that she's basically, and I said it earlier, this is kind of a mini crisis story. She's basically the pariah of this story. She has shown up on several other worlds announcing the coming of a being called the sun eater. And the Sun Eater obviously eats suns. <laughs> so she has come to basically warn them, let them know that, you know, your your, your sun's going to go out, the crops are going to wither, your water's going to freeze, everybody's going to die. There is no way to stop it. After she's done telling her tale, the blackness is sort of lifted, uh, and there stands all the heroes that... Uh, we're big, roughly, at the time. You've got uh, Fire, Ice, Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel. Damn it, do I have to throw in a thunder effect now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Contractually, yes. Okay. Yes, you must. Well, whatever. I really need to read the fine print. Um, <laughs> Kyle, Jade, I mean, everybody's here. So they start trying to formulate a plan um, after their uh, Dr. Faulkner from Star Labs sort of confirms her story with some data that they've collected from observing other uh, surrounding star systems. Basically, the plan that they come up with is that Mr. Miracle will use a boom tube and sort of teleport or transport the Sun Eater to the outskirts just outside of the source wall, and the source wall will take care of the rest. Um, so they form a team, form a couple of contingency plans, see what's going on. They go out there. The boom tube does not work. It's, uh, the Sun Eater is a little too powerful, and it it just completely messes with the mother box and the boom tube. Uh, in the midst of all this, uh, Phantom Stranger, my boy, Phantom Stranger, uh, sorry, uh, shows up to try and enlist the help of the Spectre. 
The Spectre, of course, declines, as he always does in these big things. Um, he says, Mankind's darkest night approaches. I can do nothing. The affairs of man are more simple to judge than the ways of God, stranger. If he has decided that the end, that this is the end, who am I to oppose my will over his? Meanwhile, the League has formed a contingency plan in case the uh, Boom Tube plan failed. This plan consists of several members like Fire, uh, Alan Scott, Firestorm, Superman, so on and so forth, pouring their powers, their relative, uh, their individual beams, into a construct created bubble by Kyle, and they create a fake mini-sun to kind of distract and draw off the, the Sun Eater. They do that, it works, it also envelops them, and they get saved by their ship, and they are all experiencing extreme frostbite, but it doesn't work very long. And the Sun Eater goes after the main sun, and it is too late, it has enveloped the main sun, and darkness falls over the world as Lex Luthor uh, cuts his honeymoon short, saying that they need to get back to Metropolis because mankind's not going down without a fight. Oh, Lex. <laughs> this, this is certainly a good, uh, good series for Lex to be douchey, douchey Lex. <laughs> the tip, typical Lex Luthor, you know, trying to, uh, overshadow, no pun intended, everybody into just, uh, oh, I have all the answers even when I kind of don't. <laughs> so this opens the door nicely for what plays out throughout the rest of the miniseries. I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, like, that's the first thing that, when I was rereading this, the first thing that jumped out to me was the similarity to a crisis story, at least in the beginning. The herald of bad news saying there's nothing you can do to stop it. I've seen the death of thousands of worlds. It was kind of kind of on the nose. Yeah, and actually I was – because I read this before I read Crisis, I was almost coming at it from the perspective of I saw Dusk as sort of a, a depowered version of the Silver Surfer heralding the coming of Galactus. Basically just saying, you know, there's something coming to destroy your world – and I, I've I've been here before. I've you know seen this happen. I know what's coming, and you can't stop it. And the other Marvel connection that I kind of made as I was reading it is, I think the Spectre is sort of the anti-Watcher, Watu, um, the Watcher in like Fantastic Four in the Marvel universe is supposed to not get involved in any of these you know galaxy-changing events, but he always gets involved. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the Spectre really should play a part in these things he really should you know get involved and like save the day and he just doesn't yeah, yeah he has other plans <laughs> yeah he's got tea time in the morning he has more important things to do <laughs> yeah does anybody know why the legion is here like why i mean why is the legion in this time period right now i know that there was something in their book during the mid 90s that they were stranded in this time period i do not know why mm. what do we think of the uh, art the art's okay. Like you said, you did yeah. hit the nail on the head. The art for most of this mini, I think, is is serviceable, but some characters look really bad. Like like Dusk. I'm just in the beginning, especially like issue two. Dusk looks horrible. She looks like she's like a five year old kid, <laughs> and that's not why she looks bad. But it's, it's just a, an addition to it. It's just she just looks like she's a little kid in pajamas. The art never really bothers me. It never turns me off. I think it's fine. I like Stuart Immonen's more recent work. Um, um, this was earlier in her, his career, and I think he did improve after this. 
this is also a weekly series. You know, he was certainly rushing. I don't know how much lead time he had, but I'm sure he was he was rushing and working pretty fast to get these all done on time. Um, I don't think there's any problem with the art. It's not it doesn't blow me away, but it's good. I, and I like him as an artist, but like I said, this was early. I think he improved after his work on this book. Yeah. There's no particular flaw that you can point out. It's just, I guess it's just a matter of taste. And some characters yeah. he draws better than others. And I think that's what it is too. I mean, like, it's like his, his Superman's so, so, but like when he draws the Ray in characters like that, you know, they, they look, it, or even mm-hmm. the flash, it looks better. So, I mean, and he, his dusk isn't particularly strong, and that kind of stinks because she's a major, she's in the book a lot, certainly in the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's what at least for me that's what drew me into my to make my comment is that you know dusk just doesn't you know just doesn't work. She just doesn't look something about the detail on her doesn't work. But I've seen worse, Chad. <laughs> that's <is> true. <laughs> the effects on like page what is it thirteen I think when uh, Mister Miracle's team first sees the Sun Eater up close like. I remember seeing that, and like the, it was like the first time I'd seen like a weird digital distortion effect or whatever it was on a on a comic, and it it blew me away just what that was and how how incredible that looked and how scary that looked. And I think I one of the things that I like about this event is the villain the the problem that the threat that they're facing isn't a super villain that they can just punch. Mm. You know, this is a a disaster movie. It is a world-ending event that can't be beaten by the usual Justice League means. This is going to take something really different, and it is going to test them in ways that they're not used to being tested. And we'll see that in the upcoming issues. I agree. That's that's when I said that this was different than you know most DC events. That's kind of that's kind of where I was going with it. So that was a good pickup, mm-hmm. Ryan. That it's not they're not facing. You know, it's a force of nature they're dealing with. They're not dealing with, you know, some kind of cosmic baddie, you know, of the year that they have to, you know, the DC is going to roll mm-hmm. out to be that. Oh, you can't stop them, but you know, somehow you will at the end. That so this is this is a little more, much more organic and something that you know, you, something is not, beyond the fact that you have no hope of reasoning with it. It's just the fact that it's just, it, in a way you. In a way, you can't even blame it for what it is, because it just, it, for whatever reason, it exists, and that's how it exists. So, but it still doesn't lessen the threat. It's, you know, it makes it even worse or magnifies it actually. So, I do like the fact that that was one of the things that stands out about Final Night during during or compared to most of the, you know, crises that we've seen in one way, shape, or form, starting with uh, Infinite Earths and going forward. That this is not your typical. Though there's a big bad behind all this. A, you know, a, a living, breathing character that's, you know, that has a plan, and that's why you're in this mess. This isn't certainly not the case this time. A lot of good group shots in this, despite the art. Mm-hmm. Got to say that. I like I like the one they're making the mini sun. Yeah. There's a there's a panel or two elsewhere in the issue where Firestorm looks weird, uh, the color of his face, things like that. But there's, that's a good shot of Firestorm, a good shot of Alan. I mean, that's, that's just – there's some good spots all around. And I do like the uh, – the way he draws Mr. Miracle, especially his face uh, mm-hmm. in, in close-ups. I mean, the, I mean, I, I know that's the way his costume is, but it's nice that you can see his eyes and all that stuff. So, Ray, the Ray was a favorite character of mine in the '90s, so I liked that he got a kind of a, a nice spotlight treatment throughout this series. Yeah, really, any light character in any of this for sure mm-hmm. got some great treatment. All right, anything else? We'll move on nope. to the next issue. Yep. All right, take it away, Ryan. All right. 
The Final Night Chapter 2 is written by Carl Kiesel, penciled by Stuart Immonen, inked by Jose Marzan Jr., lettered by Gaspar Saladino, and colored by Patricia Mulvihill. Uh, it was edited by Dan Thorsland. This is basically the same creative team except for a different colorist on this issue. Uh, it was covered dated November of 1996, but the actual on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was September 11th, 1996. Eminem and Marzan provided the cover, which depicts a picket sign stuck in the snow. The sign says the end is here and is adorned with Superman's cape, Wonder Woman's lasso, and Batman's cowl. Chapter 2, which is titled Darker Grows the Night, opens with Jimmy Olsen anchoring a GBS news broadcast, recapping the events of that of last issue, spotlighting the arrival of the alien woman known as Dusk and the subsequent arrival of the Sun Eater. According to Jimmy, it's been 27 hours since the Sun Eater totally engulfed our sun, 27 hours with no light or heat coming from the sun. It's snowing at Metropolis Airport when Lex Luthor returns, announcing to the throngs of reporters who greet him that he will dedicate his genius and his resources to saving the world from this threat. Superman meets Luthor there and tells the press that Earth will not be evacuated. Humanity will defeat the Sun Eater or go down fighting. Lex Luthor agrees, and the two bitter enemies shake hands. In Gotham City, Barbara Gordon monitors a dozen computers and TV screens that feed her a dozen crises around the globe. Batman made Oracle the general dispatcher for all of the superhero teams, an exhausting task for anyone who doesn't have Batman's particular work ethic. Oracle coordinates with Wonder Woman to save people from a fire in Gateway City. Wonder Woman's team includes Big Barda, The Ray, Captain Marvel Jr., and The Guardian. Not one of the Guardians of Oa, but rather Jim Harper, the Guardian of Metropolis. The heroes arrive at the apartment fire in Gateway. The Ray saves an elderly Spanish woman who sees him as an angel answering her prayers to God. Barda, Captain Marvel Jr., and the Guardian rescue a bunch of drunken teenagers who were partying to REMs, It's the End of the World as We Know It. <laughs> and Wonder Woman flies over with a fire engine on her back. In the aftermath, we learn that a five-year-old boy started the fire trying to keep his mom warm and that the teenagers partying in the top floor have given up hope that Earth can be saved. The old woman thanks Ray for saving her, but tells him that she is far from home and begs him to take her back to her family before the end. At the Louvre in Paris, Vandal Savage has come to steal the Mona Lisa. Savage claims to have known the actual model who posed for the painting, and he has come 500 years later because she turned him down for a date. But even at this time, Batman will not abide art theft. Vandal <laughs> Savage fires an auto pistol at the Dark Knight, but Superman is there to catch the bullets just in the nick of time. Batman incapacitates Savage, but we learn that without the sun's rejuvenating powers, Superman is growing steadily weaker. This fact is not lost on Lex Luthor, who cannot contain a smile as he informs his team at Star Labs that Superman is all but worthless, and the world really depends on Luthor to save it. The first step in his plan is to send a probe into the sun. Outside Opal City, the original Flash, Jay Garrick, along with Wildcat and Liberty Bell, pay a visit to the first Starman, Ted Knight. They ask if he wants to join the other JSA old-timers in keeping the streets safe. But Ted is focused on his telescopes, monitoring the sun. Out in space, we discover that the probe Luther sent to the Sun Eater is the Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, wearing a ring-constructed spacesuit equipped with highly advanced sensors designed by Luther and refined by Brainiac of the Legion. 
All of the data they need is being channeled to and from Kyle through Saturn Girl via her telepathy. Kyle descends into the blackness of the Sun Eater. He passes more than 2,000 miles before he actually reaches the Sun underneath. The readings from his sensors look bleak, and the effort to get there drained a lot of the power from his ring. Brainiac orders Kyle to drop the probe and get out of there. This infuriates Lex Luthor, who is willing to risk Kyle's life to retrieve more data from their sensors. Their argument amounts to nothing, however, as Saturn Girl tells them that something is wrong and she can no longer sense Green Lantern in the sun. At Metropolis Pier, Dusk and Black Canary are prepping Dusk's ship. The alien laments that in all her travels, she has never been able to save more than a handful of beings, but she always tries to take some memento from each planet, a reminder of the people and the culture snuffed out by the Sun Eater. A crowd of angry and fearful torchbearers come to the pier, blaming Dusk for bringing the Sun Eater to their world. They want to lynch the alien. Black Canary tries to defend her, but she's outnumbered and outgunned. The Flash, Wally West at this time, Robin, Tim Drake at this time, and Nightwing, yeah, Dick Grayson, obviously, show up to help Black Canary and Dusk from, being pa- from the panicking mob. But the heroes, too, are overwhelmed by this mob. Elsewhere, the Ray brings the old woman, Maricela, to her village somewhere in Central or South America. Ray is touched by the people and refuses to let them die in the dark and the cold. He flies up into the sky and burns bright, so bright that for a moment it seems as if the sun has returned. But the effort takes all of Ray's strength. He burns out and plummets back to Earth. At the same time, in Metropolis, Dusk is about to be murdered by the crowd. She condemns the fearful lot for succumbing to both savagery and despair. She says that they deserve their fate, but just before she's killed, a new hero, Pharaoh, arrives to protect her. And that's the end of part two. Well, (laughs) newish. An old hero returns. Sure. (laughs) Uh, The first thing I want to talk about has nothing to do with the comic itself. It's the ads. Because one of the ads is an ad for Green Lantern number 81. Yep. (laughs) Our first bad clue of what was going to (laughs) happen. The fact that it takes place in a Green Lantern issue, the fact that it says, the history of Hal Jordan told in pinups, seriously? And the fact that they're all holding an emerald flame. Like... (laughs) And that Kyle and Alice Scott are still alive. (laughs) True. Hmm. Context clues. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they, this, it's all right there. Yeah, they definitely. This should have, at the very least, not been advertised. At least, if they're gonna stick it in the actual miniseries, at least wait to issue three. <laughs> Come on, this is. It's like, <laughs> why not just announce it to the world right away? Yeah. Ah, uh, sorry. That, I just had to get that off my chest because seriously, that's that's really poor planning. I mean, I, I get that we've got the benefit of hindsight, but still. Come on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was going to mention that, so don't feel bad. It was going to come out. Uh... Ryan, you mentioned in your recap, which, by the way, thanks for putting us to shame. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned in your recap that there's a, a different color as this issue, and it's definitely noticeable. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I did like the coloring a lot better on this issue. Um, I can't tell you anything in particular that they they did, but it just seems to work better. Um, like the, like I, I mentioned in the last issue that like Firestorm had a weird face, like a weird color to his face at one point. Um, that was towards the end when he's holding Superman and telling him, you know, we got to save Earth. I mean, he looks pale and weird. I mean, there's, there's a lot of w- 
not mistaken coloring, but just weird coloring uh, in random spots throughout that issue. And this one seems a lot more consistent. And, you know, it's, it's kind of odd to think about, but the fact that this Final Night story happened gives a colorist a real good chance to shine. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of shadows. You've got a lot of firelight. You've got a lot of artificial light. You've got uh, various powers and way, the way that could play off, um, how things would reflect off snow. I mean, it really depends, but there's there's a lot of different ways that a colorist could have fun here. Yeah, and it's there's actually kind of an in-story reason for having this, the change in colors, too, because there is a different lighting effect on the world. Like, the sun went out at the end of issue one. Now they're perpetually in darkness. It is all artificial forms of light. So, uh, that I don't know if that was intentional or not, but there is... You can make a story reason for the change of artist. Sure. That's, That's a good point. All right. Lex, um, Lex is good in this issue, like we kind of alluded. Lex mm-hmm. just is, is like, oh, but Superman's only, he's only good for crowd control now. <laughs> <laughs> and go get me a sandwich while you're at it. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. he's he likes being the savior. Yep. Um, I, I mentioned in the recap, I love the when Wonder Woman is saving people from the from the party, and she's contacting Oracle, and she says they're partiers who keep saying it's the end of the world as they know it, but they feel fine. <laughs> and then you only hear her part of the conversation. She's like, "What? That's a song? Okay, if you say so." But... <laughs> Uh, I like the fact that Batman and Superman team up. I mean, it's such a, a small thing. You wouldn't think that in like this type of, you know, world-ending disaster, we do get this moment of the world's finest working together, and it's just stopping Vandal Savage from robbing a painting. But it, I think it works. Yeah, that's it works, but it's also it, it works. It's it's a good little story beat, but it's also ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's seriously, kind of, Savage. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, higher priorities for Batman and Superman at this point. Yeah. Like, let them take it. If the world survives, we'll get it back anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm always I'm always entertained when uh, Lex is brought in to be the hero and stuff, because especially he's brought in to help mastermind a plan. Brainiac 5's right there. <laughs> like, I get that it's like all hands on deck, you know, this it, this is a, this is a like you were saying, it's a natural problem, and a, a re- relatively natural problem that we have to face. It's a force of nature. We have to, we have to, you know, the, the, it's not, you know, countries or whatever in, in the line, it's the planet. Uh, so we have to, we have to work together. But I'm always amazed at the access people give Lex when, you know, shit hits the fan, especially like when they're talking about how Lex, you know, he's like, uh, he, he I, I designed the probe and then <laughs> the Brainiac 5 is like, well, and I sort of, and I, 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 I adjusted it and made some adjustments and stuff. And just like, why are we allowing Lex to, <laughs> to have as much access to uh, not just technology, but just futuristic understandings of physics and technology right now. Just because he has abused that privilege 97 times before, (laughs) there's no reason to assume he will again. What do we have to lose? Let's roll the dice! (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? I guess, guess like you said, it's like a a bigger fish (laughs) to... Mm -hmm. 
to tackle right now. But we'll worry about what Lex learned later. But I don't know. I, some like you'd think that Batman would have somebody in in the in the room that just you know there to speak his mind on Batman's behalf. Like let's just he can help. We're not going to limit his help. But he doesn't need to understand the adjustments that Brainiac Five is making. Okay. <laughs> But whatever, maybe that's that's just a panel they couldn't spare. But um, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed I you know I, the Ray is never a character I've ever had any particular experience with, but I do like basically every panel we see him in in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, artistically, he just stands out. Uh, the way his power, like when he shoots up into the sky, the way his power is displayed there. Uh, back at the fire when he's walking through the flames, the way he's sort of in like a sunspot shadow. That's mm-hmm. that. It's just every every panel you see him, he looks really cool. Yeah, it was a visual, stylistic gimmick about his character that really appealed to me when I was you know fresh into comics in the '90s. That's that's why I, his was one of the few series that I was collecting in the '90s from DC. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Next one. Sure. All okay. right. Go ahead. Moving on, Final Night Chapter 3, Keeping Hope Alive, has the same creative team as the previous issue. As before, the cover was penciled by Stuart Immonen and inked by Jose Marzan Jr. This cover shows Superman, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, and Green Lantern Kyle Rayner taking to the air over a street littered with body bags. Two days have passed since the end of Chapter 2, which means it's been more than three days since the Sun Eater engulfed the Sun, preventing any light or heat from reaching the Earth. The young hero known as Pharaoh, along with the former Green Lantern Guy Gardner, bring an unconscious wildcat into Guy's restaurant, Warriors, which has been converted to a field hospital for the superheroes. While the doctor treats Wildcat for massive internal trauma sustained while he was looking for survivors in a collapsed overpass, the, uh, the power goes out in Warriors. In frustration, Guy Gardner shows the others where the backup generator is by blasting a hole through the wall. The Legionnaire named Spark, formerly Lightning Lass, jolts the generator, giving power back to the building. Later, Spark talks to Pharaoh, thanking him for saving Dusk from the mob at the end of last chapter. Spark says she won't be leaving Warriors for a while, and thus won't be needing her Legion flight ring. She gives it to Pharaoh. At that moment, the TV comes on. Everywhere across the world, the TV goes on, all broadcasting the same message. Etrigan the Demon offers the people of Earth a warm salvation in hell. Lex Luthor holds a press conference where he boasts humanity's response to Etrigan in the form of the Daily Planet headline, Earth to Demon, Go to Hell. Luther also outlines the planet's options for new power sources beyond solar and hydro. He mentions that geothermal power is still viable as, for some reason, the Earth's core is cooling much slower than expected. At the center of the Earth, we find Gaia, the spirit of Earth herself, fighting the cold. The specter is with her. As always, he says God will not allow him to use his power to save the world, but he refuses to leave Gaia's side so long as she lives. Back on the surface, Ted Knight calls Star Labs to have them check the sun's diameter. Brainiac confirms Ted's suspicions and informs the others that the sun is not losing mass to the sun eater. The sudden loss of energy will cause a gravitational collapse of the sun, but without a loss of mass, the sun will not collapse into a black hole. Rather, the sun will go hypernova. 
in less than 24 hours, the sun will explode and incinerate all life in the solar system. And as an afterthought, the resulting explosion will fling the Sun Eater through space on a course for another system to destroy. Lex Luthor assembles his team to come up with a new plan, while still taking a, t a jab at Superman for his relative usefulness. Black Canary wants to take Luthor down a peg, but Superman stops her, knowing that Luthor is at least doing something. Then Superman calls Oracle and tells her to spread the bad news to the heroes in the field. Dusk returns to her ship and preps it for evacuation, so she can go and warn another world of the coming doom. The Phantom Stranger appears, wanting to show her the bright side of humanity before she abandons them to their fate. Like in A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life, the Phantom Stranger takes Dusk around the world as a ghost-like shade unable to be seen or heard, but able to witness the people react to the news of Earth's inevitable destruction. They watch Barbara Gordon talk to her father, never letting on what she knows that they have less than a day before it's all over. The stranger and Dusk travel to Central American Village, where Ray burned out his energy stores trying to give light to the people. Zatanna teleports into the village with fire, the woman fire from the Justice League, member, not like fire, the torches. <laughs> Zatanna convinces fire to kiss Ray in order to transfer her powers and jumpstart his. The kiss isn't necessary for the process, but it's good showmanship, Zatanna argues. The people ask for help. Zatanna summons Firestorm. The two of them then create little orbs, like mini suns floating over the landscape. In Kyoto, Japan, Dusk witnesses the original Green Lantern Alan Scott saving people from an earthquake. Alan is then joined by his kids, Jade and Obsidian. The Phantom Stranger shows Dusk other heroes around the world, Aquaman commanding whales to break up the ice, the Doctor treating Wildcat, Superman and Guardian delivering medical supplies, Batman and Robin fighting Mr. Freeze, Guy Gardner and other civilians rescuing people trapped under a snowdrift, and Wonder Woman holding up a bridge using her lasso. The Phantom Stranger drops Dusk off in New York City Alley. A crowd of people with torches find her, but this group doesn't attack. They recognize her and volunteer to bring her back to warriors. Superman takes a flying car to his parents' farm in Smallville. By now, he has lost the ability to fly. Ma and Pa Kent ask him if the Sun Eater will be defeated in time to save their harvest. Clark tells his parents that won't be a problem, and they realize what he means. Back at Warriors, Guy decides to get drunk, but his Voldarian physiology makes that nearly impossible. He looks at his old Green Lantern outfit with longing and remembers the good times. He wishes he could be a Green Lantern again. And that is when the room is bathed in a sudden green light. Aw, uh, yeah. This was a good issue, though. Hmm, yes, it was. Mm-hmm, it was. I like Etrick and the, the demon trying to get everybody to, yeah, we'll, um, we'll save, oh, I'll save the Earth if you basically you're going to give me all your souls. <laughs> That's a great deal! Uh, I I like this scene, but very, very few people know how to write Etrigan's rhyme scheme well. And I don't think Carl Kiesel does a good job in this one. No. Um, I, I think writers either have to because when he does his rhyme, it's not just that the end of his paragraph has ends with the same rhyme. There's a meter, there's a rhythm to how it speaks. There's a certain number of syllables. There's a musicality to the way he speaks. If you can't do it, don't try it and just have him talk like a normal person. So, yeah. 
Yeah, there's no rule that DC that says he has to always speak in his rhyme. Uh, but if you can do it and do it well, it's always been a great standout. I do like the scene with Spectre and Gaia, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. At least it gives you a pseudo-excuse for why, why the Spectre's not more heavily involved in trying to do something besides his any kind of moral ambiguity there. It's just the fact that he you know, he feels compelled to try to stay with her and to try to keep her warm as long as, long as possible, and that's his, his own subtle way of probably trying to help, so... Yeah, I mean, I know that I know they didn't know what to do with him or what they were going to do with him eventually, but I, I find myself paying very, very close attention to every every syllable the Spectre utters in all of this. I really like the art on this page, but with Gaia and the Spectre, yeah, um, the visuals are great. And that second panel, that's more of a close up of him. I think Imanen and Marzin do a great job, like the shadows and everything. That I think they draw a great Spectre in that one shot. For sure. Yes, the whole page is good, but that's especially a good panel. I like the use of the Phantom Stranger in all of this. I've, I've said for a long time that Phantom Stranger is one of my favorite characters in the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, uh, anytime you get to see him used is, is, uh, is, is a treat for me. And the, I mean, yeah, you get, you, like you said, the Christmas Carol type, type setting. But it's, it serves a point, you know, so that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. I, I did enjoy that. One thing I do I like that they carry forward throughout in every issue is their little star Starcom emergency information center update at the end of each issue, telling you you know where where we are in the timeline and what each day means from the time the sun goes out and wh- where we're heading. So mm-hmm. towards day five, where the you know the, where the Earth is no longer capable of supporting life, <laughs> and by the time this issue ends, where well, we're we're kind of like day four and three quarters. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> the countdown is on. I do. I did. I, had, I did have to uh, uh, let a little chuckle out when uh, I saw Batman and Robin fighting Mister Freeze. I was like, "Really, Mister Freeze? <laughs> you, you, you can't. You can't just let the world freeze over. You, you got to add to it. <laughs> like the cutting on his action, man. <laughs> that's, that's my gig. Overkill, buddy. <laughs> I remember reading the Batman tie-ins to this event, and I don't remember what that was about. Uh, I've got them, but uh, yeah. I'll, I'll look through them when Mark does his recaps. Because I'm not. Thanks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, there were two. There were two Batman times. There was a, a mm-hmm. Batman proper and a Detective Comics one. So yeah. So I I don't know what it is that Firestorm and Zatanna do to create these little mini suns floating over the landscape. I. I I'm not sure exactly what they create or how the effect would be caused because we don't get the process, we don't get the spell, but somehow they do something and I think it looks really cool. I like the emotional beat that it would have. Like That would be very cool to see in a movie, the cinematic effect of that. Um, I, I just don't know exactly how the science from his end or the magic from her end would actually work to create that. But, uh, and it only lasts for 15, 20 minutes anyways, so you got to wonder at the point of doing it in the first place, other than, of course, you know, brightening the spirits and making everybody right. feel okay for just that little bit more. Mm-hmm. We actually, I mean, it becomes, you know, in a couple issues, that becomes sort of a, a major set piece is this one village kind of in, in nowhere. It's not like an industrialized city or everything, but it's this one place where they come back to a couple of times we end up with 
you know, four kind of principal characters in this setting with these people. You know, they're not rescuing people from Metropolis or Gotham or Hub City or any of these big things. They're just they're out in the middle of the countryside, you know, just making these people feel better. It's, there's a kind of a wholesomeness to that that is that is nice. Speaking of Firestorm, another one of my favorite characters, and I fine shout out to Shaq. Uh, I, I I like how I both like and dislike Zatanna's spell to get him there because usually she's like a peer or whatever. Right. In this case, she's it, she literally just says "Yell Firestorm." <laughs> <laughs> how does that work, Zatanna? Come on. <laughs> Explain that to me, Fishnets guy. Magical shorthand. <laughs> She's been at the game for a while. The powers that be just know what she wins. She means. <laughs> I haven't read a whole lot of comics with Alan Scott in this like Sentinel uniform, mm-hmm. but I really like the way they do it in this issue. Um, it's. I'm always going to revert to his classic look is my preferred version. But this is a pretty cool costume design. You know. Just make sure you don't read it in, in the pages of Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. <laughs> it looks I like Batman. The... <laughs> I've read the first four books from that series. Yeah, yeah it's re- there's, there's one story in particular that we just reviewed on one of our Quarterly Quarterly episodes mm-hmm. where he is. it takes place in Gotham, and he's drawn... I like Batman. Like the, the points of his cowl, the thing, the the points of his thing on the side, go really high up. It's almost like their ears whenever a shadow appears. His cape is dramatically large. The way he jumps through the air and it's like he's grabbing the ends of his cape and flying like Batman. It's like oh god, just because he is in Gotham, and you can do this artistically, doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So this it's it's a lesson in how his costume, as it stands in this issue, could be done very wrong. In this case, yes, you're right. It, it's it's done quite well, but <laughs> I've seen it very recently in horrible, horrible display. <laughs> and I I really like the last beat with Superman going to see his parents. Um, the fact that he can't fly there on his own, he needs to take, you know, in a flying car to get there, and the fact that he doesn't try to protect them from the truth. He doesn't say, we're all going to die this time tomorrow, but he doesn't He doesn't shield it either. Um, he he kind of plays it straight with them. Yeah, it's so. like, we don't really have to worry about, you're not going to really need to worry about those crops anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you got the point across. I, I'd always like those little moments with, with uh, Superman and his family. It was a big, it was a big thing in the, a lot of the graphic, uh, graphic uh, audio stuff. Uh, especially the Superman story, there was moments where he would just because, I mean, because he's Superman, like he can fly super fast and do all these cool things. So there'd be moments where he's facing a big problem and then he just, you know, as he's flying back from helping the Justice League or whatever, he'd stop by mom and pa and just have pie and talk with him and just kind of bounce ideas off him. I love that idea. Now he's not really bouncing ideas off of him in here, but I, li- I just like the idea of every now and then Clark just for whatever reason goes home, you know, because he can. So that's that's cool. I remember at the time that I was reading this, I had no idea what was going on with Guy Gardner at this time. <laughs> so I was very confused. I was like, 
was that the same guy who had the yellow ring and the death of Superman? I was like, what? why does he look like this? Why does his arm turn into a gun? The 90s happened to him, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, where's his bowl cut? <laughs> where's the uh, blue jacket? <laughs> yeah. If you want, you're, you're welcome to read all those warrior comics. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> all right. Anything else about this issue, guys? No. All right. Uh, we are going into the final night, Green Lantern number 80, uh, featuring a cover of uh, Kyle Rayner going up against the return of Dr. Light. A much redesigned and very 90-ized Dr. Light. Almost kind of Ray-ish, now that I look at it. Uh, Dr. Light. <clears throat> we open up with a story titled Light in Darkness. Um, Kyle is facing off against the returned Dr. Light. Uh, we are given the knowledge that basically Dr. Light has just sort of appeared out of Kyle's battery. Uh, the reason being, he was trapped there by Hal Jordan in Green Lantern number 36 in the Silver Age. A long time ago. <laughs> um, I believe the Silver Age. I'm pretty sure the Silver Age. I should have done more research. I'll figure it out. Don't it worry. Was, it, was in the, it was in the same series. The same? It was in the 90s series. It was, yeah. It was, like, about... It was the one that was, like... I was I was going on contact clues looking at this this uh, art here in the background. No, it was during yeah, the Gerard, no. Gerard Jones run that, he, that it happened. Still. Yeah, because he, he was in the Suicide Squad in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, that didn't sound right as it was coming out of my mouth. Thank you. I'm glad you guys are here for me. You have the power to edit this out. I was just going to say, so you can edit it out, Chad. <laughs> uh, nah, don't worry about it. Uh, <clears throat> you can just go, I, I, you can just go I, I'm, like I'm, I was I'm, saying in the Gerard Jones run. <laughs> I'm, secure, I'm secure in the knowledge that I am a comics fan. I don't need to, to appear that I know everything. <laughs> so, these guys know more than I do deal with it uh so as he's fighting dr light kyle gets the idea wait light we have no light maybe i should stop trying to fight him and try and tell him what's going on well clearly he can't get a word in edgewise so he has to just continue fighting dr light well he doesn't want to screw up his apartment in the process so he leads dr light outside so dr light uh you know Tackles him into the side of this uh, tower slash church tower, whatever. Uh, it's a uh, clock tower. Uh, and Dr. Light displays a really cool power where he basically is able to take Kyle's constructs and manipulate them and redo them and put them back on Kyle. Uh, he changed Kyle to the top of this clock tower. He finally gets through to Dr. Light uh, and... He, for a moment, Dr. Light thinks he's trying to trick him, and he says, no, just look up. Uh, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Dr. Light immediately freaks out, says this shouldn't happen now, and then says, I, 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 I have to save myself, and basically teleports this shit out of there. Like, he gets, he's gone. He just, he, he's, he's completely gone. Kyle says, well, so much for that. Goes off to, you know, just... Recharge his ring um, uh, with his battery he, as he's at his apartment. He notices that, uh, you know, all of this just seems so petty now, all the things you were worried about. Um, he, But there are things to do. He goes off. He finds Donna, his girlfriend, Donna Troy. 
Uh, Donna is also taking stock of things going on in her world, uh, her son, uh, her ex, so on and so forth, their current relationship. Um, Kyle reveals that his mother is still alive. Um, Kyle says, you know, I, uh, I told you she was dead, but she's not. She's just kind of dead to me and blah, blah, blah. Um, he says, uh, well, he gets an idea when he's talking to Donna. He says, you know, we tried transporting the sunny air away from the sun. We tried creating a decoy. Neither worked. We even came up with the, we even came up empty, uh, with uh, the help of every hero on earth. And then he goes, hero on earth. Thanks to himself. She says, what is it? Oh, nothing. Just had a thought. Uh, they kiss. Uh, we'll, you know, see each other before all this is done, hopefully. Uh, he flies off, and he says, and I'm going to keep that promise. Somehow, the ring has no limits, but I do, and I'm afraid this is beyond me. I might not have the willpower to finish it, but there's an answer out there somewhere, and I'll find it. And he is heading out, up into the sky, uh, up and over the uh, Statue of Liberty. So next, a gathering of heroes. <laughs> I gotta say, retroactively reading this issue, Hal's an idiot. <laughs> Who traps Dr. Light? Dr. Light in a power battery. <laughs> well, see, delving into this slightly, it's kind of a flaw with this concept because he. the point was, I think, back in the original issue was, yeah, he trapped him in his battery, but he was, but more or less he was going to be end, end up in the central power battery and held there. So there was kind of a problem with the whole concept that he was going to be in Kyle's battery because he never should have been in Kyle's battery. He either should have been freed when the central power battery got absorbed or theoretically he should have been absorbed into Hal. And even this issue, this was after the, uh, I think, the 80-page 3D comic in which, uh, we saw the, in which we saw Dr. Light the last time. Uh, which I think when we first found out that he was in Kyle's battery because that's where, uh, which never made sense then either. <laughs> but touching on when Hal said in Greenland and when Hal showed up in Parallax view and when Kyle said I thought you were dead man and he goes no I just went elsewhere and then we found out later in the 80 page giant where Hal went after Oa was destroyed he kind of just went into Kyle's battery and he created this whole perfect Green Lantern core and everything just which is an have we did they ever do that issue during the no. Jimin that's an issue we should do at one point that so he created this perfect like recreation of everything with the Green Lantern Corps, except there were no Guardians, and that's when they kind of figured out that's where Hal must have gone because Hal created this and Doctor Light was in there. So, but it never made any sense why he he would have been in Kyle's battery since Kyle was never, depending on which origin of Kyle's battery you accept, whether it was a piece of Oa or whether it was a piece of the Central Power Battery, it's still it's a sliver of the outside. It shouldn't have been, but either way, but that's kind of like, so it wasn't so much Hal was an idiot. It was like he, it's kind of like the same. It was like capturing, I think the idea was to capture Dr. Light temporarily, and then he was going to be transferred into the central power battery for holding. So you're, wait, you're saying, hang on a sec, so this, that was the, you said the 3D comic? Not, that's not when he got captured. But that's what the story you're talking about was taking place in the 3D comic? Yeah, it took place wasn't in that, was Wasn't that with the Ray? No, that was with J Jade. It was with Jade. It was, Jade, what, what happened? J Kyle got pulled into his own power battery by Dr. He didn't know what was going on. It turned out Dr. Light Dr. Light was in there. I think Dr. Dr. Light's the one who pulled him in. Hmm. And he's and that's that was that 80-page 3D special or which was actually pretty the 3D was pretty cool the way they did it. Yeah, but, I thought it was Green Lantern plus the Ray in 3D. No. That's why I thought that's what it was called. 
No, the ray wasn't in that issue. It was just hmm. it was caught. It was not that one. You might be thinking of a different one, but this but this this was do, this was Doctor Light, Kyle, and eventually Jade, and and so. But then we found out that it was Hal who created that created that world, uh, that recreation of Oa and everything inside the central power battery, just without the Guardians. And Doctor Light was trying to was kind of absorbing power from it, and somehow Kilowog and all the Green Lantern Corps more or less had to like uh, almost like sacrifice everything to take away that power from Dr. Light. And... Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the cover of Green Lantern plus the Ray right now. I know I'm getting confused. Yeah. It's because uh, the the villain in this story is one is Dr. Polaris. Ah, yes, that would make sense. And he's displayed like with his cape flowing out and a lot of light around him. That's why I'm thinking of that. Okay. But, but that 80-page special, the 3D, we should do that because that actually is a pretty cool, cool story, despite the logic of why... Doctor, like I said, Doctor Light would ever be in Hal, uh, Kyle's battery. Uh, but See, my, my issue still has its green, my its its uh, glasses. I, I know I still have mine somewhere too, but <laughs> nonetheless, yeah. So just defending defending Hal's decision making, I think that was the game plan. Not that he would just be kept in his individual power battery indefinitely, but just use that as a conduit to kind of like transfer him to the to the pri- to, to the prison of the central power battery, hmm. like a lot of other things that were stuck in there. <laughs> It was it was pretty good. Doctor Light, long before he was a rapist, obviously was still a pussy. <laughs> I'm getting out of Dodge. Oh yeah, he did have that. Oh God, just when you think it's out of your mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I did not know enough about uh, Kyle's history at this point uh, in the universe. I. I think I knew that at one point he was dating Donna Troy, but I had completely forgotten it. So when I read this, I was pretty surprised. Um, her continuity is a mess in and of itself, so oh. I didn't even want to delve into that. Um, so most of what I got from this story was just really, really cool, impressive art from J.H. Williams III, who was always, always pretty solid. Again, this was also kind of early in his thing, but some of the, some of like just the the basic. They're not necessarily like action shots, but like the poster shots of just Kyle charging his ring or the last page when he's flying off in front of the Statue of Liberty. Those are just beautiful shots. Mm. Yeah, I should have said when I started this thing uh, who the creative team was. Ron Mars, writer, J.H. Williams, uh, the guest pencils, uh, Mick Cray, guest inks, Pamela uh, Rambo on the colors, Chris Iliopoulos, letters, and Eddie Berganza, associate editor and uh, Kevin Dooley is the editor. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that Dr. Light's power is used in this. And mm-hmm. Chad, when we talked on uh, the Justice League of America Secret Origins episode, you mentioned how you kind of grown tired of the same old trope of the yellow impurity being the weakness for Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. And this was a really cool old turn where, you know, Dr. Light tries to use yellow light against Kyle and he's like, yeah, that weakness doesn't that's that's not a problem for me anymore but when kyle tries to use his projections dr light's like hey your energy is a form of light and he's able to repurpose it take it from him and throw it back in his face that's yeah. really cool and i think that that would make dr light a very compelling very formidable enemy for the green lanterns unfortunately things have been done with Dr. Light that will make it so that nobody ever wants to use that character again. Yeah. I do, I do like that right after Kyle's like, hey, 
that's not going to work anymore. It, Polaris, is, or not Polaris, God, I keep saying. Uh, Dr. Light's like, whatever, just like shoots him with this beam of light. <laughs> well, it, does, it doesn't matter whether or not yellow is, uh, you know, it doesn't have a, you don't have a weakness to yellow anymore. If you're not paying attention, <laughs> you're going to get stabbed through the arm. <laughs> so that's, that was cool. And Mark, was his costume like this in the issue you were talking about? I think so. Okay, I, I believe so. I believe it was, which it, it probably is because again it was during the it's during the Mars era, so I would suspect that the uh, costume wouldn't have changed that much. It's been a while since I actually flipped through that issue, but I know I remember it, it was a big deal when it came out because it was you, you know they didn't do many comics like that back at the time, so. <clears throat> And at least they came up with a nice premise for why it would you know because you're looking at you know a an energy constructed world you know in the pa- and the power battery so that's kind of the excuse that for that's the part of the book that's in 3D. But, so. Yeah. But we'll put it on our list. That might be a cool one to do. Um, I thought it was interesting that the I mean the, you're right the the art is the art is great, but the artistic slash story choice of having those various candid shots of Donna in her apartment hung in picture frames right next to each other on the wall. I thought that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Slash interesting. Uh, a, a weird choice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, you were talking about where he was charging up Kyle. Uh, uh, Kyle. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> uh, the, not the panel in particular where he's charging, the one right after that, where he's hold, his ring is lit. God, that's a great shot of Kyle. Mm-hmm. That is such a good shot. Yeah, that actually, yeah. And I, I, I just for for those reading and uh, playing along at home, this is the first one in, in the bunch that's got actual newsprint instead of the kind of glossy pages on the inside, like the main series does. So, hm, whatever. Uh, Mark. Anything else you want to say about this one, Ryan? Anybody? No, I enjoyed it. I'd never read it before we decided to do this, so thank you for sharing the story with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. I don't think we've ever covered it either, so that's that, partly because we never covered Final Night. Final Night, so. yeah. It, 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 it's, a, it's a cute little tie-in, and again, it makes sense, as we talked about it. In the, in the main series itself, any hero or villain that deals with light is obviously a logical choice to potentially play a role in story which is dealing with the extinguishing of the ultimate light the sun so it makes and kyle trying to reason with with dr light it's like yeah that goes over big <laughs> you're right there's problems see ya <laughs> uh, they're bad. all right mark take it away you got the last two yeah this is a really good issue uh and the cover that of course we know they've done variations on including kyle's own version of this cover this has kind of been the go-to cover if you're going to do a parallax cover now. Uh, so the final night parallax one-shot, the 1996 special, uh, Emerald Night, which is appropriate since how nicely it bookends, you know, Emerald Twilight. So the creative team. Let's get to the whole creative team here. Ron Mars, the writer. Mike McCone, the penciler. Mark McKenna, the inker. John Calise, the colorist. Chris Alopoulos is the letterer, Eddie Berganza, the associate editor, and Kevin Dooley is the editor. I like the fact that, the na- of course, in the beginning, the narration, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's logical, you know, who's really doing it, but it, the fact that it, it, 
we focus in on seeing Cyborg Superman, and of course the narration we find out quickly is Hal. And in a way, this seems to be a continuation of the uh, the Unholy Alliances one shot, the Silver Surfer Green Lantern crossover. When after after Cyborg Superman got sucked back into the DCU, and Hal because Hal lost track of him thanks to the Silver Surfer getting in the way, that this is kind of where uh, Cyborg Superman ended up, and he ends up of course at the Source Wall. A place where you and I know well, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it in forever. I know. And of course, though, to be honest, it's kind of interesting because it certainly operates slightly differently in this, mm. at least, which is not, was not lost on me, even dur- during the reread for sure. So basically, we, Cyborg Superman is there at the, at, at the source wall. He, he, he landed, he came there on a little piece of asteroid, or, and then he goes flying off to the source wall, and he lands on the source wall, which is odd because he does not turn to stone. Uh, Cyborg Superman senses the presence, and he turns around, of course, then we get the the face of our narrator, which is Parallax, Hal Jordan, who has been tracking Cyborg Superman and wanting to get back at him since Silver Surfer interrupted his attempt at vengeance in that crossover. Interesting little dialogue between Cyborg Superman and Parallax is, of course, first Cyborg Superman just looks just keeps referring to him like I think he did in that issue as Green Lantern when he goes, no, I'm Parallax. No, I'm Parallax. <laughs> and we get, a, we get a nice little brief recap of the destruction of Coast City and, and the relationship of Mongol and, and, Cy, and Cyborg Superman to that. I like the fact how Cyborg Superman seems to think that, oh, he kind of like taunts how, like, you know, it doesn't really matter. You, you can capture me and you can bring me back. You know, I can just transfer my essence into an, this, that, and the other thing, and you're never going to capture me for long. Ha, ha, ha. And that's when Hal kind of does the cute little reveal, like, you know, I think you misunderstand me. I'm not here to, I'm not here to capture you. I'm here to erase you from existence. And Cyborg Superman and Hal go at it for a while. And I like during the conversation, during the battle, the inner dialogue for Hal, how he kind of is reflecting on everything that he's done. And this is the most regretful we get of Hal Jordan ever during that era, that there's a lot of regret. And all throughout the issue, he kind of acknowledges that, you know, I've made mistakes and everything else. So it's like... uh, like he lay, he lays the he lays at the feet of the guardians for really for him becoming what he is now, as opposed to blaming Cyborg Superman. But then again, he still takes he he says even though the guardians share share in the blame, I'm the one you know I have to take responsibility too because I've committed questionable deeds. Uh, I know that, and of course the questionables in bold, which kind of trying to get the point across that it's probably more than questionable. But how's but how's in prog he's in therapy he's making progress. Uh, Hal creates this really cool green construct dragon, and, you know, Cyborg Superman's kind of, like, mocking him. You know, you think that's power, blah, 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 blah. And the resolution of their fight is really, really cool, as, you know, Hal pretty much grabs him by the throat, and Hal makes it clear to Cyborg Superman, it's like, at the end of the day, you're not really fighting me. You're fighting, the, you know, the 7 million people you killed at Coast City. And Cyborg Superman doesn't know what the hell he's talking about at first, but then all of a sudden you see more and more... Energy constructed hands and fists and and bodies, and then eventually you see at the source wall you see basically seven million, the seven million people constructed from energy constructed um, victims of Coast City. They attack Cyborg Superman, they beat him down, and then eventually Cyborg Superman's essence is caught into a little green sphere, which Hal Jordan catches between his fingers and pops it, and seemingly that was the end of Cyborg Superman. The, as much as 
as believable as end as we ever have gotten, even though, like everything else, nothing really sticks for long. While Hal's at the Source Wall, he's kind of he's kind of like find, basically seeing kindred spirits with the Source Wall, since pretty much the, you know it's more like kind of like the uh, soaring too high again. The uh, as I'm drawing a blank at the character that I'm like thinking of. Give me the myth- mythological character, the one who flew too high and his wings melted. Icarus. That's yeah. the one I couldn't yeah. think of. Thank you. Embarrassing, but at least I knew what I was. I knew where I was going with it. Uh, I knew the answer too. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. I, I, I heard you starting to say it. Uh, so Hal's kind of like this is kind of like his Icarus moment because he's kind of feeling kindred spirits with the Titans at the Source Wall. Like the, everybody kind of like reached too high bringing about their own downfall and it goes what you know what about me am i going to be you know this is is this what my future is pretty much going to hold and hal of course touches the source wall he also doesn't merge into it um so at this point kyle shows up and he's been looking for hal and now we if we hadn't put the pieces together in, in you know in the last issue of green lantern that's what hal i mean that's what kyle meant when he said you know that i don't think i have the willpower for this and any and every hero on earth so he basically went looking for hal because he knew Hal's power set and Hal's willpower basically was superior to his, and that Hal might be able to do what he couldn't do himself and maybe what nobody else could do, which was take out the Sun Eater. Uh, I like when Kyle approaches him, he makes a little, you know, the dove and a little uh, olive branch <laughs> to try to make it clear <laughs> that I'm not here to fight, because Hal's kind of like, you know, you know, where, where's everybody else? You know, because they're coming after me, right? So where are the others? And that's when Kyle says, no, it's not like that. I'm here to talk. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, Kyle, I like, it's kind of interesting when you have these, uh, these thought balloons for, now, now looking back at it, it's more interesting because, because Hal's thought balloons when he's dealing with Kyle are in yellow. So it's kind of interesting. You know, it's like I can't, I still can't get used to that costume. You know, he's made the job his, so I'm, I'm proud of, you know, I'm almost proud of him, and you know how young and wide-eyed Kyle is, and and this apparently is the first time in that continuity where Kyle had ever gone to the Source Wall. Obviously, it won't be the last. You know, because so, Kyle's completely lost, and you know, Hal's kind of like filling him in about you know how the wall separates our universe from others, or from and what's from on the other side. And they have a brief moment of, you know, Hal talking to Kyle. Oh, it's great being Green Lantern, isn't it? And Kyle's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you, it is. But you know be- that better than anybody. But, but, but I digest. <laughs> no kidding, I digress. And the, and he gets to the point about the Sun Eater, and it's like, you know, the Earth's really in danger. It's and he kind of plays up the fact that, you know, on the on the cosmic scale, the Earth is your home even more than Coast City was. You know, we really need. We need, you know, we we need someone, and you're the one. I think you're the one. You know, I don't I don't have the experience or the willpower, but you do. So you know, and and, and Hal is kind of like, well, I tr-, you know I tried to give them a better world, and they refused me, and and now they're asking me to save them. And, and Kyle has to point out, uh, no, this is just me coming on my own, and I came because I know you, Hal, and I know you can help. And Hal goes, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do, you know, but now you're willing to accept me. Is that it? And, you know, again, kind of like a yellow flash here, which, of course, we know in the cosmics and the picks in the scheme of the story probably is just referring to the sun. But knowing what how what, knowing parallax, what, what we know now is kind of interesting whenever you see yellow around him that basically how stuck in a, he's stuck and he needs to think this over. So we tell us Kyle that, you know, I need 
exactly that. I need to think this over. Kyle keeps, keeps talking to him. It's like, we need you to be our hero again. And, and Kyle and, and Hal kind of just sends Kyle on his way. <laughs> and then, then Hal says, you know, I have to I have to really see this for myself to kind of know what's going on. So he shows back up, and I like that image that image of seeing the Sun Eater and 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 Hal's eye. That's really cool. Before you get the big rest of the splash page, where you pretty much see the entire sun engulfed by the Sun Eater, and you have Hal acknowledging at least you know, on his own that I don't know if I can do this. This now we pick up on the where in the last issue of uh, the Final Night proper series when <laughs> when Guy was. Guy was getting tanked, and the green flash of energy showed up. We find out the reason why is because uh, Hal Parallax shows up to see Guy, and he wants to talk to Guy. <laughs> and typical Guy, being at least of that era, being an, being an ass. <laughs> First is like, oh yeah, you just want to rub her faces in it, don't you? And it's like, uh, it's like, uh, no, no, that's not what I'm here for. And it's like, uh, yeah, you want to talk to me? You destroyed the Guardians and Killua. And it's like, it's like. Again, Hal making progress <laughs> along the way. Like, yeah, you know, I know what I did was wrong. It's like, how hard do you think it's been for me to accept that guy? I thought I could fix everything when it was over, but no one ever seemed to understand that. And then he asked Guy, which is kind of one of those backhanded compliments. It's like, you know, everybody hated you, Guy, but you just kept doing your own thing. Like, how did you do it? <laughs> and and Guy just kind of says, well, because I knew at the end of the day I was a hero, and that's all that really mattered. So I really didn't give a damn what anybody else thought. And that has impact on Hal. Now Hal's next stop on Hal's kind of like again following how you know Ryan, Ryan and everybody we've talked about the it's a one kind of like between cross between it's a wonderful life and the Christmas Carol that how now this is like almost like Hal's journey because he's basically going around seeing all, all these different people and who are who have been important to him. So he sees John Stewart who's been crippled since uh, which issue was that with 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 the Dark Stars and uh, Graven, sixty something, wasn't it? Yeah, or seventy five. Like Might have, was maybe it was seventy five. Late sixties, early seventies, yeah. something like that. So John Stewart's st- he's in a hospital bed. He's still crippled. Uh, he showed up, and you know he shows up to see to see John, and this is pretty much the first real encounter between John and and Hal since uh, Emerald Emerald Twilight. And you know, and John's like asking, you know, what happened with the Guardians and the Corps? You owe me explanations. And Hal's like, you know, I, I do, but you know, I, I, you know, I, if I, I wish I had all the time to tell you everything, you know, explain it all to you. But you know, but I really don't. And there's a lot in my mind. And you know, he takes he takes John's hand, and he just he basically is saying to John, you know, I just want to make it. I just really hope that I was as good a friend to you, you know. Because as you were to me, after he takes John's hand, you know we, we see green energy transfer into John Stewart, and John Stewart can walk. And John's like, well, you know, my God, what did you do to me? And it's like, uh, in a small way, at least I've made things right. It's like, I have to go now, but I want you to know there's a bright future ahead of you. And John, John kind of watches Hal fade away, and John's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Hal stops at Oliver Queen's grave, grave next, and he. And he puts roses on the grave. Of course, as we know now, that's not the only thing he did while he was at the grave. But that's the only thing we see in this issue. He returns to uh, to visit uh, Pi at a. Uh, I'm assuming this is some. Is, is it a variation? Some part of Ferris somewhere? I don't know if they actually say that on this. In this, I think we just. 
It, it's just an outfit that Pi is working at. Yeah, this... it might it might be Ferris like no longer operable, but he keeps up with all the mechanics. That's and stuff. true. I'm just I was just trying to skim it again quick to see if they ever actually mention on this, and they don't yeah. where, where he is. So Pi's you know doing working on a working on a biplane actually it looks like, and pa- and Hal shows up as Parallax. And of course, this at this point you know he's kind of Pi is kind of Tom has heard all these. Some of these stories about supposedly what Hal did, and he makes a point of saying, "Oh, I, I knew, you know, I knew that could never be true. Not my, not, not Hal Jordan." And Hal's just kind of like, "I appreciate your faith in me, Tom." So he doesn't really, as he points out, you know, I've disappointed the people who trusted me the most. You know, it's like, it's like including Tom. So in a way, Hal's trying not to disappoint him anymore by you know going into details. Uh, Tom mentions the book that he's been working on about Hal, and it's like, oh, I think I got a draft here. I can show it to you. And it's like, I really don't have time to stay right now. It's like I gotta go. But it goes, you should go inside and be with your wife and kids. But but I'm gonna try to give you an ending to your book, which was which was pretty cool. Then Hal has the meeting with Carol, and you know Carol, of course, is the only one who doesn't who's really not surprised to see him. And Carol Carol points out, of course not, because you know I know you better than pretty much anyone. And Hal has this moment when he goes, you know, yeah, you know, I've kind of, I'm debating about what to do, and it's like, you know, I can, you know, I can still save us. I mean, I can take us someplace safe where, you know, we can still be together. There's still a chance for us. And Carol just goes, you know, this isn't about us. It never was. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you know, you pretty much know what you have to do, Hal. You just have to trust your heart, and I trust your heart, and I love you. And they kiss. As they kiss, uh, Hal. Again, fades away into energy, and he arrives back at Coast City. The you know the, the, the memorial flame is there. I like the little doll, which you know which ties back into Emerald Twilight, which was on the ground in the rubble uh, when Hal was on his knees there. You know, Hal just kind of he ties it in literally, you know, my beginning and my ending. And you know, I you know I failed. You know, I failed at what mattered most once, and I can't do that again. And then you hear Hal just go, "Okay, all right, let's get this over with." <clears throat> Ganthet, who has been inside Hal since the end of the Parallax View storyline, comes out, and you know Gan- Ganthet's kind of again stating the obvious. I still like Ganthet. I must say, I still like Ganthet in his pantsuit better than wearing the dress. <laughs> At least this version of the dress. At least after rebirth, it kind of got a little shorter, so it's a little better. So he's kind of uh, Ganthet's talking about again. It's come full circle. It's like uh, Ganthet's like. Hal, excuse me, goes, you know what, you know what's going on? Of course I know what's going on. And plus, more than that, I know what you, you're going to do. It's like, you think yourself changed, but you're not. You can't ignore what you are. You were everything we desired from our Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan. You were the greatest of our soldiers, the most heroic. <laughs> and then the little jab, and your betrayal does not change that. <laughs> and that's when that gets pal pissed, and it's like, betrayal? You're the ones who betrayed me. I mean, I, I did everything pretty much and I without I never asked for anything and the one time that I did it's like you turned your backs on me and this is when you know, kind of like acquiesces a little and goes you know we were an unbending lot understatement of the year you know we were too obsessed with order and we too were pretty much you know we essentially were the architects of our own destruction to a certain extent you know and he makes it clear I don't excuse what you deeds but perhaps you know but perhaps the us as the guardians were you know or at least were our, our own mistakes cr- contributed to it. And he apologizes to Hal, and then he closes his fist, the green energy comes out of it, and he offers Hal the Green Lantern Ring. And he goes, it can be yours again if you if you wish. And Hal goes, you know, not so long ago I tried to get my ring back, and I thought by doing that I could get my past back. But the, 
you know, but the past is gone. I had to learn to let it go. And it goes, I've done things I'm not proud of. And I, at the time, I believed I did the right thing. That's what I always tried to do as a Green Lantern. So maybe what you say is true. Maybe the person I am hasn't changed, just the trappings. And Hal rejects the ring, saying he doesn't need it anymore. And he, and Ganthet goes, as you wish, you will do what you must, as I will. Goodbye, Hal Jordan. Ganthet disappears. You know, Hal Jordan kind of is looking at the you know, the legacy flame about Co City. And at this point, you know, you know, while Hal's kind of looking at it, he brings Kyle back in. You know, he pulls Kyle to him. And Kyle's like, you know, what's going on? It's like Hal goes, I want you to go to them, Kyle. I want you, you know, I want, I want you to go to them and tell them I'll help. And Hal's, you know, the final thing on that page is Hal thinking to himself, and we see a nice little contrast between, like, very young Hal Jordan is a Green Lantern and current Green Lantern, a current Parallax Hal Jordan. And Hal says, you know, the only choice I can live with finally, I am content. To be continued in Final Night Part 4. There you go, guys. It's a double-sized issue, so we gave it its due. We finally revealed uh, reviewed that particular issue. <laughs> Some people have wanted us to just review this issue, so that's why I'm making a big deal out of it. Um, we should have had it. We should have had like 15 episodes on this on this issue. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I love, uh, I, I love this issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a double-sized issue. It's uh, doubly priced. In terms of the main series, the main series is like a, a buck ninety-five an issue, whereas this is two ninety-five. Um, Mike McCone on art, not Mike McCone's best work, um, but it, uh, it's it's pretty damn good, I think. There 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 are you know weird faces and stuff like that, but it's it's pretty damn good. Uh, and Mike's, you know, gone on to do actually more Green Lantern stuff. Not not something you'd know off the top of your head, but he was, uh, a, you know, an artist during a storyline or two during the Jeff Johns run. Uh, and I believe that was in Green Lantern Corps, not necessarily in the main Green Lantern run. Might have been in the Green Lantern run. I interviewed him about it several months, several years ago. But but uh, regardless, fantastic. Love it. I want to say he did do some of the main Green Lantern issues. Was it... Was it, it was during the, the Alpha Jeff- Lanterns? Yes. Good memory. Yes. Think, that, yeah, it, was, it, was. it was during that uh, that Alpha Lantern uh, kind of storyline. So, yeah. yes, that was the main Green Lantern series then. And he'd worked with Johns before. He did a lot of the Jeff Johns' Teen Titans run, too. Mm-hmm. I, you're right. I think most of the art in this issue is good, except for the faces. Mm. There are a whole lot of shots. Like... Unless Hal and Kyle are in profile, if it's anything less than profile, they don't have noses. And it's like you see it when they're at the source wall, you see it on the final page. It's like, where's Hal's nose? Like the the mask obscures his nose, but also makes it look like it's not there at all. And it's it. I found it to be distracting after a while. Um, other than that, I was I was happy with a lot of the art in the book. I think the colorist maybe didn't get the message that the sun was completely out on Earth because all of the scenes on, on Earth, it's snowing, but they all have kind of a blue sky background when it should be completely dark. Yeah, that's true. So, 
Yeah, actually, I think that's probably my biggest problem. I don't really like the colors in this issue, except for the uh, that one shot when Hal goes to see the Sun Eater. Yeah, that is a good. That's a really good page. It's a it's a good it's a good it's a good parallax story onto mm-hmm. itself. Even even if you know even if this wasn't so critical to you know, the whole way this whole um, mini series this event plays out, that this is a really look, m- moving at again, and, and I'll talk about this more once we get through Greenland. Uh, excuse me, Final Night Four. That if you look at the psychology of Hal. And the progression of Hal and and the steps that he's made, <laughs> even at the at this point, and then you compare it to the crap that we've gotten in current Green Lantern and in Telos, trying to capture a younger version of Parallax, but just a point that it just shows that you know that on his own, long before you know that Hal had kind of made peace to a certain extent with some of the things from the point of view that he's that he's accepted the fact that. He did things he shouldn't have done, even though he tried. He was trying to do the right thing, and he at least wanted people to. At the very least, he wanted people to appreciate that. But he has. But he did acknowledge that he made mistakes. He went. He went too far. He, like in this issue, I think he talks about the biggest mistake that he had was, you know, the core. You know, the core, more or less, was collateral damage in his dealings with the Guardians in Emerald Twilight. That wasn't what he wanted, and anything like that. That. That at least he, you know, he knows he didn't go about things the right way. He did things that he shouldn't have, and he knows that he at least is taking half the responsibility now for things playing out. He can't. He still blames the Guardian somewhat, and even Gath it kind of gives him that, throws him that bone too. That you're probably right that because we were so unwilling to move beyond our rules, we were so obsessed with our rules and making exceptions that we probably helped contribute to that feeling of desperation and frustration that led him to crossing the line. So. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I th- it's it can be difficult to reconcile this version of the character with Hal Jordan 2.0 as Jeff Johns sort of created him to be. And but even still, I mean, just within this issue, Mark, as you described, it's a great little character piece. It's a character sketch of this parallax, whether or not you know Green Lantern's history or his future. Just within this story, Mars gives him a full arc. I mean, at the beginning of this story, he is pretty cold and pretty unapologetic about his choices, and he is willing to kill the cyborg. And he even says, he's like, you know, when I was, I used to be a man who wouldn't do this. I used to be a hero who would not kill. That's not who I am anymore. I am not that guy. I'm, I'm changed, and he reconciles this, and he's not sorry about it. But by the end of the story, that last page, you see him standing in the shadow of what the hero that he used to be. And you see that he does he does want that acceptance. He is hoping that he can do this one good act that maybe will redeem him. And I like the fact that, like you mentioned, that he's the, the full arc in this book. That in the beginning, all he cares about is revenge. And revenge also... And, and revenge, not just for the pure sake of revenge, but because of the fact that it's a little bit of closure for him. Because mm-hmm. it's still like an, it's still that little, oh, it's still the the biggest open wound that he has related to Coast City is the fact that the the mastermind behind it is still is still around and hasn't really paid the price for. So he, that's what he cares about in the beginning, and he gets to the point where he's he's pretty much ready for self sacrifice. 
So that is a pretty significant arc to go through in, in one book, and it's a and it's handled well, and it's and in a in a believable fashion. And as you see, how basically revisit you know revisiting his life through the people that were been closest to him, even people that were more or less at you know like guy who he, at that point in their relationship in that history up to that point, they pretty much were always butting heads and very rarely were on the same page about anything. That even seeing Guy, he needed to see something from Guy, get something from Guy. Maybe not hoping, maybe hoping a little bit of acceptance from Guy since he does mention, you know, the trying to do things right and just wanting to, that, wanting to have that acceptance. But he also wants, he knows there's something in Guy that he can learn from, which is what, you know, it's something that Hal's struggling with himself. It's like, I, I feel that I'm a hero deep down, but pretty much everybody's treating me like I'm a villain, and it makes it hard to keep trying to... It makes me hard to not self-doubt myself. If to, Maybe I'm not doing this thing. Maybe I'm really not doing the right thing. So he goes to somebody who, who, he had, who has first-hand knowledge of always doing what he believed was right regardless of what anybody thought. And he was trying to... And it's like, why? But how, how did you carry on and do that and be pretty much successful at it? So in a way, he was just kind of showing Guy a lot of respect there, and, and a, you know, yeah, it's a, kind of like a backhanded way, and potentially the way he phrased it, but still, the point was, you know, he did respect Guy enough, an aspect of Guy's personality that he certainly admired enough to go try to pick his brain about. I uh, I just I, I like how each of these little stories just uh, kind of solidifies in something, something in how, especially like you know, it's 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 definitely evident in the. The Guy Gardner part, uh, it's subtler in, like, the Tom part. You know, the Tom part doesn't play much of a role, but it is there and just, like, you know, he hasn't given up. You know, he's just messing around on his plane, you know? He's, he, he doesn't quit. Uh, and, and plus he hasn't given up on Hal. True. He's never given up on Hal. True. And the the whole part with Carol, even with the, the part with Carol, which is right before all the stuff with the with the Guardian, uh, with, uh, with Ganthet. He says, what I can do is take us both away from here. We can go someplace safe when we can finally be together. Like, she says, you know, it's not about us. It never was. So, like, each one of these is, like, just a specific, it's just build-up to this decision. And I like that his decision isn't based necessarily on being the hero again. It's just more, it, the hero, let me, not being the hero again in terms of, Everybody thinks I'm a hero and, you know, I'm back to the way I was. Um, but just more of a, you know, my life has run its course. And by that, I mean, it's come full circle. You know, my life is paralyzed. I started all this because of Coast City and I just took care of, you know, he basically just took care of Cyborg Superman. And now he, you know, right as he does that, he learns that the entire planet's in danger and he has the power to save it. You know, it's, it's now, now a disaster like coast city, but obviously on a grander scale is about to happen. And he doesn't need to go get the power to turn back the clock. He has the power to stop it. So I, you know, I just, I, I like how it's, uh, it's a decision he makes to be a hero to himself Essentially, and I like and I like the uh, which I didn't go into great detail and I should have some the thought balloons that he has towards the end right before we get to that final splash page even before he summons Kyle when he's talking about you know 
is, isn't that how a life is judged, the legacy you leave behind? And he talks about, you know, my life has been played out on a grand scale. I've done miraculous things and I've done terrible things. I've committed sins I never dreamed possible. Did I fall into the abyss and lose myself, or did I simply gaze into it for a time and turn away? And he goes, in the end, does it really matter? The whole of my life, the triumphs and tragedies have led me to this moment, this choice. And that's when he says, the only one I can live with, pretty much, and I am content. So just the idea that, you know, he, he, he finally has it kind of in perspective. He has everything in proper perspective, finally. And it kind of also acknowledge you know, and I like the fact that about the looking to the abyss. It's like, that maybe, kind of what Ganthet was saying, too, you know, trying to get through to him, the point was that the things that you've done, the things, the bad things that you did, especially the Emerald Twilight part, it's like, that doesn't really change deep down, it doesn't change the essence of who you are. And the idea that, you, yeah, you, look, you, you looked into the, to the abyss, but that was for a moment. That's not who you are. You did not change permanently. That was just a moment, a small period of time you looked into it, and then you turned your attention back. To, and you're more back to the person that you were, because that's who you really are at the end. A yeah. very, very, very good story. For sure. All right. You want to take us away? Wrap us up with All number right. four? Let's, let's wrap us up with Final Night number four. And I kind of like the fact that the, the whole logo of fi- the Final Night is in green and the sun, the, how the DC logo kind of became the sun. And all mm-hmm. the other issues that it was, was kind of like the 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 very light yellow orange of, of the you know of the sun as it's being black you know being blackened out and everything and but now it's like green so I think mm-hmm. that and of course if you hadn't realized what was going to happen in this in this issue ahead of time yeah you, you have the week four in the cover Emerald Dawn <laughs> and how pretty it's kind of hard not to figure out that even by silhouette that that's how it's parallax on the cover in front of the now relit sun. So that kind of pretty much tells you what's going on in this book. Uh, the the issue the issue picks right up again with uh, Kyle after after his attempt to reach Hal, you know, at the Source Wall, and he thought it failed. He's kind of lamenting. It's like, geez, you know, I, I thought you know Hal was the only person who really could have saved us, and I blew it. And like some Green Lantern, I you know I turned out to be. And the actual I like the actual title of this issue is the Final Night, but with the K. That's pretty cool. So you know. Final Knigget. Yeah, Knigget. <laughs> For real. Yeah. So so Kyle shows back. He comes back to Metropolis and he goes, "What? It's being evacuated?" It's like, "Are you kidding? We're in for the long haul." And it's like, "Uh, Luther's got it all figured out." Ha ha ha. <laughs> Alternative energy, you know, uh, protective habitat. You know, we'll get that Sun Eater sooner or later. And you know, and Kyle's for a moment, he's all kind of happy. <clears throat> and you know. Uh, Wonder Woman asks, like, you know, where'd you go after you disappeared into the sun? It's like, uh, I wasted a lot of time. Not like it matters now. So I guess that pretty much probably covers everything we saw, what in Green Lantern and in, uh, and uh, obviously the, the Parallax one shot. Uh, and and Wonder Woman, you know, and, and Kyle's all pumped. It's like, yeah, we're gonna beat this thing. And Wonder Woman's like, and her face looks so mutated in that picture. <laughs> like, you don't know, do you? She says. And then we kind of find out about how, you know, we get. How this this pretty much we're down to like less than two hours before the, the the hypernova is going to occur, and you know, Lex thinks he's got it all figured out with these little, you know, these little units that are going to be placed around placed around the sun, which are going to you know somehow are going to be able to absorb the extra energy, and and trap the sun eater enough to destroy it and the force fields, yada yada, all the stuff. 
pretty much is going to be his plan to, uh, he thinks it's going to work so we can save the sun and yet not destroy the, the solar system and so forth and so on. And, uh, so they're, try, they're trying to figure out basically who, who's going to go and put all these devices around the sun to try to pull off Luther's plan. And, and, and Luther with his really, this shit eating grin pretty much is looking at Kyle's like, Hey, there's already someone who's in, who survived the encounter with the sun. And how and and Kyle's like, hey, yeah, you know, I I don't know. It's a and, and as they're talking, Kyle just fades away. Which of course, Kyle fading away is where he is. He fades away to the end of you know the final night one shot when when Hal calls to him to tell him he's coming. Um, <clears throat> so they're again they're having their they're having their internal debate about who's going to go. And you know, and then we get Luther. And I like how Batman kind of turn kind of turns it on to uh, Luther about how uh, you know how implying Luther should really go and he's like, what are you talking? I'm not gonna get on that suicide ship. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like I've been doing all this so I could live. And that kind of makes Superman feel a little better the way he goes out. Uh, Your reaction's perfectly human, Luther. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're all they're all pretty much you know. They're trying to decide. Superman's Superman's willing to go on basically on the suicide mission to do this. He starts writing a little dear Lois letter before anything. You know, before Superman can go, the ship with all the devices clears you know, the launch pad and it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh pretty much uh, he decided he's the one who's going to go try to to save everybody. And he kind of he he realizes though that he kind of didn't you know he didn't give a give the Legion flight <laughs> flight ring back. So that's he was a little concerned about that. Everybody's panicking about what to do. It's like, oh, they don't just not because they they don't know if he can pull it off. Let alone, he's they didn't think he should be the one who has to sacrifice himself at that moment. Hal shows up with Kyle, and Hal's like, you know, I'm here to help. Superman seems to be he's cautious. He's cautious, but he's a little warm towards Hal. And Batman, of course, is Batman. <laughs> it's like, oh, no matter how noble he acts, he's still, you know, he's Parallax's true agenda is, you know, we know what it is. He hasn't changed. And, of course, Hal kind of, like, doesn't really help his cause to a certain extent by going, you know, you're, you're right. I haven't changed. But if you don't want my help, you know. <laughs> and Superman's like, no, that's not the case. You know, there's a young boy out there, Pharaoh, who's about to go orbit the sun. If you could save him, maybe contain the Nova. And Parallax is like, well, yeah, of course I can do that, but why stop there? You know, after the Nova, the sun's going to be considerably weaker. If I just rekindle it to full strength, there's going to be, you know, the flooding could wipe out more more life than the snow already has. You know, I could minimize that, even prevent it. I could fix everything. Poor choice of words for Batman. <laughs> it's like, you'd like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you'd like that, wouldn't you? A chance to be God, recreate everything. That's not how it works. It's like, you're not God. It's like, I'm not the harsh God you believe in, that's for sure. Uh, if you want me to leave, you know, the pain and suffering of mankind, of man, the disasters brought on mankind, fine. I will heal the planet. I will restore its life and beauty, but that's all I'm going to do. On my oath, you know, he, he proclaims. And, and Superman's happy. It's like, yeah, I, I'd say we can live with that. I'd always help. I'd always hoped you'd come back, Hal. And he offers Hal his hand. Hal doesn't take it. And he goes, I'm not coming back, Superman. I'm just setting things right. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, so pretty much cutting to the chase, uh, you know, uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's still, even at the end, of, when he's about to die, pretty much, he's still kind of regretting that he hasn't gotten the ring back to Saturn Girl. But before he can, you know, before he can, 
his, you know, the ship is going to be destroyed before he dies. You know, he finds himself saved, and he finds himself in the hand of an oversized parallax. You know, and parallax, uh, he over, overheard, overheard, excuse me, uh, what Pharaoh was talking about returning the ring. And parallax goes, I can't have that, son. I know how important rings can be. Uh, <laughs> Pharaoh really doesn't know what's going on. Uh, pretty much time has stopped at this moment, and he goes, you know, why aren't the flames moving? And it's like, a, eh, it's a little trick I learned. Call it the temporal pause button. I, I learned it at the beginning of time. Uh, so Hal China just kind of, just, just extremely casually just kind of shoots Pharaoh back and with green energy back back to Earth. And this is pretty cool. You know, Hal's kind of like, he talks about the oath that he took a long time ago, and that, you know, there's some things that, and because of that oath that taught me that, you know, some things that people will never understand. And he goes, there are two ways to dispel the darkness, to shine a light or to draw the darkness in. And how pretty much starts, he recites the Green Lantern oath as this is going on. He talks about how, you know, it feels like razor edge, you know, blackness tearing up his arm. Because Hal pretty much is, up, is, is absorbing the Sun Eater into him. And that's, that was his uh, solution to how to deal with it. And now we have one of the great quotes, and it's kind of appropriate, it's by Hal Jordan himself. So people who, people who, if they're going to write this character going forward, listen to this, because this sums up why people are getting Hal Jordan wrong as Parallax. Hal Jordan himself, his own final internal you know, dialogue is like, I've always done what I truly believed was right. At first, people called me a hero for it, and then a villain. And then he goes on to add, you know, as the memory of what I've done and been fades, I hope I will be seen in a different light. So on Earth, pretty much, uh, we see that the the energy of the sun and and starting to level off. We see like a, a green hue from the sun starting to uh, cover the Earth. The snow starts to to uh, evaporate. Uh, even even guys all all pumped up that you know <laughs> Hal's bringing back the sun, and then you know pretty much the sun eventually returns to its normal hue, and you know. Everybody's all excited. Oh, I can't wait! You know, I can't wait to you know thank him when he gets here. And then, of course, was it Saturn Girl again? Yeah. Saturn Girl. So, oh, like I, I was tracking, I was tracking, I was tracking his thoughts up until the very end. And like it took, it took everything he had, everything. So pretty much, the Earth has been saved. We end with Superman and Batman, and Superman's all excited and everything and happy. And he's like, oh, too bad Hal couldn't see this, and. You know, Batman's being Batman again. Don't make a martyr out of a murderer, Superman. One shining moment doesn't redeem Parallax for what he did. He admitted he hadn't changed, remember? And Superman's like, people don't always notice when they've changed Batman. I'll always think Hal died a hero. And Batman getting the last word in, too bad that isn't how he always lived. And then, of course, we have the little, you know, we could just have a little green tie back to the Green Lantern <coughs> Oath at the end as the sun shining all through Metropolis. The end. So why this story, Ryan? Um, like I said, it was one of the first DC crossover events that I collected, but it was also a book that kind of shaped my view of the Green Lantern Corps, or Green Lantern really himself, uh, Hal Jordan. Um, I love the way the oath is used in the climax of the story, kind of paralleling what he's saying and what his narration is and how they sort of culminate with this idea of, you know, this redemption being seen in a different light, and how he uses the power to sacrifice himself. Mark might appreciate this. I, I can't help but 
when I was reading this, I was thinking about the Star Wars connection of Darth Vader and could somebody who has done terrible things in his past be redeemed just because he dies doing a noble and heroic thing. Now, that comparison doesn't hold up because Darth Vader really was a villain who did something good at the end of his life, whereas Hal Jordan was a hero who went through kind of a bad patch where he did some screwed up things. Um, and how and how did and Hal's moment of redemption was bigger in the big. I mean, he saved by doing so. Not just everybody oh, yeah, on yeah. Earth. Yeah, I mean, I I do I do agree, and you know, I've talked about before. Right. I think there's a lot of analogies to be made between. Green Lantern yeah. and Star Wars and the Jedi and the Guardians and things like that. So yeah, I yeah, think I think it is tr- the moment. Yeah, the the moment the sacrifice doesn't really hold up. It was more about the conversation between Superman and Batman. Yes, and how they rationalize his sacrifice and their the language that they use to discuss it. I kind of yeah. I, that always that kind of stuck with me, and I like the way that they can see that and how it shows their kind of competing personalities. Yep. And that's something that we would see. I mean. Certainly that was a major part of Green Lantern Rebirth was Jeff Johns used Batman as the the straw man who only saw the worst of Hal and until Hal just had to punch him in the face and say, shut <laughs> up. And, 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 nobody cares what you think anymore. And it, and it also made it worse. See, and part of that made it worse is because, because of the fact that Batman finally did accept – when he did accept Hal back – as the Spectre, only to have Hal as Parall- as we found out, as Parallax was starting to exert more and more control over over him, mm-hmm. as it turned out, is one of the reasons, anyway. When Hal had to re... and probably because the Spectre himself knew what, what was coming and needed to gain more control, to maybe to fight Parallax, but as he lost... as he became... had to embrace the spirit of vengeance again and give up the spirit of redemption, that's when Batman completely wiped his hands of Hal again, because he gave him the second chance, he's, and then he said, oh, he's back to doing this... he's back to doing that again. He's, you know, vengeance, so I'm, I'm out. So, that's that's kind of... that's obvious. That's where we pick up in Rebirth, and that's why he's he's a complete asshole of Hal Jordan until the end. That's why I still like the original script in Rebirth, when Batman was supposed to be possessed by Parallax. Instead of Ganthet, because that was kind of cool, because that would have at least given you the moment where Batman would completely have understood what Hal went through, and he wouldn't, and he wouldn't, but also meet, give you an easier path for Batman accepting it, because he would have been correct, would have been though moment momentarily in the big picture, still he would have been corrupted the same way Hal was, and he would have realized how little control you had. So, and the moment when Hal comes back, it's still a very Hal moment. That he doesn't come back begging for forgiveness. He doesn't need their permission. Yep. He's doing this on his terms. Yep. And like Superman is like, well, if you can help us, we'll take you back. And he's like, yeah, that's not what this is about, Superman. <laughs> I'm not coming back for you. <laughs> I got a job to do. This isn't about your issues, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this issue also has my second favorite moment in the entire event, the entire story arc. I mean, my favorite is is the moment when Hal defeats the Sun Eater. That climax is awesome. But my second favorite moment is when you see the turn in Lex Luthor. Yep. When you see that this entire time, he's like, I'll be the hero. Don't worry about it. I've got everything covered. I'm the smartest man, the biggest brain in the room. I will protect us. And then when Kyle Rayner is bamfed out of the play, Batman's like, Okay, Luther, I guess it's on your shoulders. You're going to have to pilot the ship into the sun. And he's like, are you freaking crazy? He's like, I'm not going to do that. And you see, Lex Luthor isn't willing to put his ass on the line. He's not going to sacrifice himself for anybody else. And there's just that moment where you see 
you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Flash just staring at him. Because this is what they've known all along. And they were just waiting for him to reveal himself. And they're like, yeah, you're not a hero. You're as cowardly as they come. So you, you might be smart and you might have the ability to save us, but you're never going to do this for other people. This was always about you. And they've just been waiting for this moment. And Superman, who has no powers left at this point, is like, I'm going to do it because that's what I do. Yep. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's a good moment. Yeah. But I, I do, like I said, I've mentioned, I, I, had that, that, I had that little quote, that, that Hal quote about, you know, whatever – I've always done when I truly believed it right was right. I had that quote near my desk at work. I've always loved that quote because that sums up the essence of who he was, which people keep getting wrong. <laughs> it's the fact that, yeah, the way he went about things changed, but the way he viewed things never did. That he, that to him, he was always mm-hmm. trying to do what was right. He just what he what was right to him was just different. <laughs> doesn't mean it, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you excuse what he did necessarily, but that was the point. And I and I just love that the second part of that, which is at first people called me a hero for it, and then a villain. So kind of making it clear, making it very you know, yin and yang that it's not just that Hal's looking at things from a different perspective. Part of the part of the problem, quote unquote, problem is that pe- people are also just viewing him from a different perspective. But maybe what the way he's approaching things is, hasn't really changed. They just don't like what he's doing now compared to what, before it was okay. You're one of us before it was okay, and now you're not, so it's not okay. So, But that's, yeah, it's a powerful quote, and it, does, and it says a lot about who the character was and why he was a good character and an interesting character and not why he's a, he's 100% obsessed with Coast City and fear bug teeth coming out every three seconds. Yeah. So, Do we know what happened to Dusk after this? I thought she stuck around somewhere for a while. Because I know, like, after Crisis, like, uh, Pariah and all of those people uh, were, uh, and Lila and all them were all still kind of around for a little while. And I don't know if, I can't remember if I remember Dusk being around after all of this. I mean, I would assume she would be because she's on Earth. Uh, presumably her planet might have been one of the ones that kicked off her little sojourn. Uh, warning people, so she probably doesn't have a planet. So I don't, you know, where would she go? And she's got nowhere else to go now. So yeah, I'm trying to see if any of her appearances show up. Besides, uh, I'm not seeing anything pop up. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. For some yeah, reason, I yeah. can't think of. That's weird. It is weird. You'd think she'd show up after a while. I mean, she's part of this, you know, major month long event. Uh, by the way, listeners uh, and Ryan, if you didn't know. Um, DC Comics did this without the knowledge and permission or uh, anything of Ron Mars, who was writing Green Lantern at the time, and Dooley too, right? The whole group they had yeah. they had no they had no they had no control over this, so they nobody had any idea, and they took they took they took this character completely on its own track, outside of the Green Lantern office. So uh, yeah, so one of the great what ifs would be if. If this was not forced upon them, how you know what, how things would have been different? What Parallax's role would have been, and Hal's role going forward? What would it have been in the, in the Green Lanterns and the potential building towards the you know the reformation, recreation of the Green Lantern Corps and things like that? So that is again something we'll we'll never know the answer to now, though it could make a good Elseworld story. But <laughs> but yeah, it, well we'll never know. We've interviewed both Ron Mars and Daryl Banks, guys. We will never know. Yeah. <laughs> They don't. They don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about these kind of what if scenarios because you know they spent a lifetime in comics. <laughs> yeah, because Ron didn't really give it. He, 
he he's knew, he was going to use them, but he never gave us anything specific. But maybe he just doesn't feel that that would be appropriate because he must have had ideas, or even remembers. Eh, probably. I mean, you you could be correct, but I I would assume he would remember because especially since the last time what they really used, he really used parallax before the one shot was what was in uh the parallax view parallax view and the and silver surfer one shot, so he had been off the table for a while. So you would think probably they were. As he pro- who knows he may very well have factored into Green Lantern 100 if if you know Pal was still technically alive then instead of doing the Emerald Knights thing like the prelude to Emerald Knights maybe Parallax would have played a role almost guaranteed he would have had to play a role in, in that issue uh, on his own um, so yeah we'll never know but it, but it would have would have been interesting to see what his what his fate would have been if DC hadn't decided oh we need him to. He we need him to sacrifice himself, and this is you know, to get some kind of redemption, and this is a great way to do it. Which was a good way to do it, but it did suck losing the character. Yeah, it would have been nice to have more parallax stories. Yes, hmm. good parallax stories. <laughs> sure. How long between this and Day of Judgment? Uh, three, I think. I three think. months or three years. years? No, not months. Years. I think it's. I think yeah, I think we determined day judgment was uh, ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine. Did we see how anywhere between now and then? Other oh, than this, em- this now and then. Uh, other than Emerald Emerald Knights, I don't think so. Oh yeah, Al came back, guys, but past Hal, so yeah. don't worry about it. And past Parallax. Yes. Uh, so, I don't think so. I don't. Um. No, because yeah, all the stuff obviously with all the, with uh, and the, because the, the Green Arrow reboot and stuff was right around the time Hal was becoming the Spectre anyway. So or because obviously that was tied into it since Hal was the one Parallax was the one who brought Green Arrow back when he was at his grave. But I'm trying to remember the, the exact time frame for that. But either way, it's still kind of not really using the character other than like a, for a panel. Um, to, Again, kind of lifting the veil, showing you something else that happened, another scene you didn't see in the in the one shot, the parallax one shot that actually did happen when Hal was at Ollie, Ollie's grave. But for the most part, no, the character the character was off the board because I do think I I do think that was another part of their rationale, or it maybe it was the the main part of their rationale that they wanted that, that whole Kyle Hal debate ended, and the way to end it is to get Hal out of there. You didn't have to worry about it anymore. Hal's dead. Oh, that that. Uh, well, they, it's not. It's not that we don't like Hal. It's not that they can't coexist. Hal's dead. You know, that's they 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 kind of kind of kind of did that. I remember honestly. I, remember, I think Ron, in, in a wizard interview, almost said something to that effect. Oh, the main reason they can't. The main reason they can't coexist, or the main reason they can't have like, they both can't. They can't. You know, Hal's dead. You know, something like that. Even though I know some of that was, I feel bad for Ron now looking back because he, I think he, he was made out to be the scapegoat. You know for a lot of the decisions of editorial and he was he, he was the face of that of that all the all the, all the heat but um bum so uh but yeah uh so I don't so for the most part he was off the board until until they decided to bring him back as the specter I do like this series maybe I think I like this series more for the concept of the tie-ins rather than the actual overarching story the overarching story is uh is 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 how do you deal with the deal with the big problem, you know? Uh, in in the other stories and the tie-ins and speaking of the tie-ins, um, you've got uh, several several different tie-ins throughout this entire 
uh, storyline. Um, I've got most of them here. You've got Batman uh, uh, 536, and this is just for you guys at home if you want to collect it. Green Arrow, number 114. Aquaman, number 26. The Adventures of Superman, number 540, which is actually the storyline that introduces this Pharaoh. So if you were curious about Pharaoh, uh, that's the, the one to pick up. Superman, number 117. Superboy, number 33. The Flash, number 119. Hitman, number 8. Uh, Superman, Man of Steel, number 62. The Power of Shazam, number 20. Sovereign 7, number 16. Batman Detective Comics, number 703. Action Comics, number 727. This one I like because this is actually, um, what's his name? Oh, uh, Tom Grummet starts penciling this issue for Action Comics. Uh, and then uh, the Supergirl issue, uh, number 3, uh, and this one is cool because it's actually uh, Supergirl is actually kind of a two-parter. Um, it takes place during Final Night, uh, but only number three is the one that gets the Final Night crossover banner. Number four actually continues that story. So, uh, although uh, number four isn't listed as a crossover, uh, number four is one of them. And then the four issues I don't have are actually going to be the Tachyon. So that's our. Uh, I don't know. I never knew how to say that. I'm assuming it's Tachyon. Should be Tachyon, yes. Uh, but Tachyon, number six. You've also got Robin, number 35. And uh, Legion of Superheroes, number 86. And the Spectre, uh, number 47. And considering how much I like just the small bits of the Spectre uh, in there, uh, I'm kind of kicking myself now that I don't have that particular crossover issue. <laughs> but nice. did... I think there was an intro too in Wizard for like almost like a I don't know if, I don't know if it was a full issue but I think there were a few pa- a few preview pages. Yeah, there was there is a zero issue sort of like a preview. Yeah, it's it's ha- basically Dusk's story before she gets to Earth. Yep. Yeah. Back I can't the, find that anywhere, by the way. Yeah, I, I probably some, I probably have it because I have a lot of old Wizards, but it, that's the point. It's it's buried in in a different place, and I wasn't gonna. It's not that like Ryan said. It it gives you more of a background on where she come, kind of like what's happened to her and why she's heading, you know, why she's heading to Earth when we when we see her. So it's not big, but it was cool back in the day when Wizard was something that they would get just like they had the re, you know the Green Lantern Rebirth uh, preview pages. So. That uh, that preview is included with issue one on the digital version. If you get these issues on Comixology, because uh, I used to have this in paper and I don't know what happened to it, um, so I ended up having to rebuy them on Comixology like two years ago. Yes. And I noticed that when I got issue one, it included the the preview pages too. So that's uh, like a double sized issue. Yeah, because there's actually like a physical comic. And so you so was was the wizard because I didn't get wizard at the time. Was the wizard thing like a like the size of one of these comics? The magazine was bigger, but I think it it would have been packaged in plastic probably, because or in poly no bag. because yeah. because because yeah. some because there there's there's a like fits with your stack of Final Night comics. There's like an a Final Night Zero thing that you can mm-hmm. get. I don't know if that's the same thing, but there there is like an actual separate published. Final Night Zero or preview thing that you can buy or find somewhere, but I haven't been able to find it in the back issues or anywhere. So yeah, if it's separate, it probably was. It probably was just packaged, probably poly bagged with the regular Wizard, because Wizard was Wizard was kind of essentially the same size as a comic book, I believe. It just was thicker and it was like at least it was square backed at one point. 
So mm. yeah, so I probably just came with it. I, I couldn't I couldn't actually be, I knew what was in it off the top of my head. I couldn't remember of that at, at that point. It was still a separate, a literal separate issue, or whether they just had the extra preview pages in it, like they did with like Green Lantern Rebirth, where the pages I think were just inside the the actual magazine, but not a separate issue. But, and the reason I brought up this, this, the tie-ins in the first place is because, yeah, you've got ones with, like, Supergirl uh, and, and things like that. But if you notice, you know, with Batman, Sovereign Severin, you know, things like that, uh, Superman even, and Supergirl, because, you know, the sun's gone. They're losing their powers. Um, you've got, you know, what – it's basically proving that these people are heroes. Like, there's nothing Aquaman can do to stop the <laughs> stop the Sun Eater, right? There's nothing he can do, but it shows him going about still helping people, protecting things, you know, doing what he can in the meantime. So that's that's probably, now that I think about it, that's probably what I like most about the Final Night story. It's not necessarily the main overarching point, although obviously there are things I do like about the main overarching story and the characters involved, certain characters involved. But just the concept of, you know, we've got this group over here dealing with the big problem, but meanwhile, you know, we've got all these, you know, heroes doing what heroes do. So, that's what I like about it. By the way, the Batman issues, no Mr. Freeze. The Batman one is a, a, a man-bat story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, then de- the de- detective one is the cover of him with uh, holding the match. Uh... Right. Yes, yes. Do any of you guys do you guys remember any of the particular tie-ins? Did any of them jump out to you? I had those, and I think I had the Green Arrow one, but I I couldn't tell you what it was about. It's, that, yeah. That's the one with that's the one with actually a unique cover in all of them. Uh, it's got white panels on the sides, and then just sort of like a, a, a vertical shot of Connor, <coughs> just like got his hands bundled up and blowing into him in the cold as snow is falling down on him. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool looking cover. The Green Lantern one was the only one I actually really remember. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I bought a lot of other tie-ins for this. I think I might. I probably may have even had more un, you know, non-Lantern related tie-ins to like let's say Underworld Unleashed than I did for this. I think. I don't think I have many things other than the actual proper issues in Green Lantern ones. I don't think I really anything I I picked up anything really for this. Yeah, the uh, the Shazam one, the Power of Shazam one, I really enjoy. Um, this one is it's actually by Jerry Ordway, um, and it's guest starring Superman. So it's a Superman Shazam team up during all of this. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and the Supergirl one is interesting. And I say interesting. I didn't necessarily say the greatest because it's uh, it's her going up against Gorilla Grodd while Grodd is doing one of his you know turn everybody into monkeys kind of things. So, that's it's uh, it's interesting. Oh, that Grodd! <laughs> he does one thing very very well, and he and he goes back and he and he hits that beat over and over again. <laughs> and the art in the art in the Supergirl one is actually not bad at all. Oh, there there you go, Gary Frank. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, I just thought I'd bring some of that up because. Uh, you know anybody out there who's been looking for these? Uh, the, the, there's your official. Well, see, bannered. They 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 have the final night banner on them. Um, I was looking at Michael Bailey's website, The Fortress of Baileytude, and he does have a section on his website. There's a page if you Google it, you can find it, 
there's a page where you can see various events uh, that DC has had throughout its history and the issues that are in it. And he has all of these issues listed, but also like five or six others that I've, I set aside and, and Googled and I pulled up the cover image of, and none of them have the name Final Night on them. They're not branded as Final Night books. But like there's an Asriel book in there and stuff like that. So I don't know if those are like, like, you know, like uh, Supergirl number four is that, you know, it's just continuing the prior issue or takes place during Final Night, but it's not an official Final Night crossover. I don't know why they wouldn't brand it just to get the extra sales. Um, but heads up. <laughs> yeah, there were other books that came out that month that didn't have the Final Crisis banner, and maybe they just sort of just very quietly, very subtly addressed the fact that, hey, been dark for, you know, 36 hours now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm What's still going to go kill snow? this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they tried to work in any actual science to this. Like, if the sun were to go out, how long do we have? Well, I'm sure there are, there are documentaries about that. I'm sure there are whole specials on, you know, the like planet Earth specials, like one of the well, life after people, life after the yes. sun. Yeah. But obviously, so. they sp- obviously they had to sp- they had to alter it because the whole because it would it would have taken a lot longer for for life to go out. Uh, but like it's, I probably would have taken longer for the Earth to go out to begin with. Eh, I'd like to think it would have taken longer, even if the sun was just being completely you know covered by something, as opposed to that's why I think why they kind of upped it with the whole soup the whole hypernova thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. forget, forget about the cold killing you. This is gonna break you. <laughs> And that part I actually looked up, and it, they, I guess Carl Kiesel did kind of do a little bit of his research in that sense, because usually what would be happening there was it would create a black hole um, if the sun was losing that kind of energy. But I kind of looked it up in, on, on some general things. If, if something were to cause it to not lose its mass, if it was so compacted that instead of the gravitational – collapse creating a black hole it would just explode outwards and create a supernova so that part i mean it doesn't he doesn't go into a lot of details it's not like neil degrasse tyson or something explaining all of this but uh he does that that science checks out more or less Hmm. that's cool all right any final thoughts on the uh, final night event or Uh, al jordan himself uh, I, I like the crossover event. I liked that it showed the heroes, like I said at the beginning, it shows the heroes being challenged in ways that we don't usually see them being challenged. It shows a test of humanity's fortitude. We see people at their worst. We see people at their best. And ultimately, it affords the opportunity for a disgraced hero to give his life for a noble cause and try to try to give some act of redemption um, whether or not he succeeds, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if this changed the way people felt about Green Lantern and Parallax at the time. I don't, I, I don't know enough about what the prevailing wisdom and the prevailing fan base felt about Hal Jordan at the time that this came out. So, Mark does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I always. It's interesting if Hal wasn't such a big part of the storyline. I don't depend if. Let's say if it was Firestorm or the, or the the Ray or somebody that ended up like saving the sun. I don't know if I, I would like the story as much. I think it. 
I think it does hold a special place in, obviously, Green Lantern fans' hearts because of not just Hal's role in this, but Kyle's, too, because Kyle actually has a relatively major role across the board even before he goes off looking for Hal. And plus, it's a it's it's a good insight into Kyle, too, and what, what makes Kyle a good character is that Kyle wasn't... And I've always thought about this, too, about... Especially when they when they did it in the, like, uh, one of the... The specials when we found out the Ganthet came to, to Guy first to try to get him to take the ring. That I've always thought about how that potential, how how things would have been so much different if if Guy had taken the ring. And one thing I I've, one thing I always have thought about was Final Night because because number one, there's no way Guy would be able to suck it up enough to go look for Hal's help. Nor would nor would Guy probably be able to say the right thing to even have Hal consider it. <laughs> But because of the relationship that Kyle and Hal have always had, even though they've been adversarial, it's been an adversarial relationship up to this point, there was always that respect that they had for each other. And that he can, they, is that Hal obviously can see a younger version of himself in Kyle. And kind of the way, again, continuing Brian's point, how Vader can see himself in Luke. And how Vader can see, well, if, if I had made all the right decisions, I could be Kyle. <laughs> or at least if I, if I go, go go back again, I'd like to be Kyle and have that have that shot. And as Kyle gets more experience, we Kyle more can understand what led Hal. He may, he, he may not have ever thought he could do that, even though I know that we go through some stories we've talked about. I think we actually did it, actually Jim and I did it in, uh, in Pre-Birth, the Justice League... JLA 35, Hal's first post uh, Day of Judgment appearance when he's, with Hal's own fears inside of him, his own anxieties about having this power again and doing and abusing it, it makes him kind of cast that on every other character and the way he, and then he, and with Kyle and Kyle, he picks up on it and it's somewhat true but he's just he's just looking for the, for the worst in everybody that Kyle's fear deep down that he zeroed in on was that Kyle's afraid that he's going to end up like Hal and do the same thing and, and let the power corrupt him. So there's kind of like there's there's certain a relationship on both ends there. So I think that I I do like that. I, I so it's a good Green Lantern story across the board. It's good for Kyle that he's able to say, hey, you know, no ego involved here. I know I don't have the experience. I know I don't have the power. Hal does. And if anybody can do it, Hal can do it, and I have no problem going to him and asking him, even though nobody else would let me do it if I had cleared it with them first. But shows, you know, Kyle's independence too. That he's, even though he's young and inexperienced, he's not just gonna fall in line because you know Batman and Superman potentially tell him to do so. Awesome, Ryan. Before we let you go, where can people find you across the net? Got a number of podcasts available on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Most important one is Secret Origins podcast. Why do I say the most important one? Because one I'm that, listening. Yeah, the one that Mark and Chad have been involved in, and certainly the one that occupies the most of my time, is the Secret Origins podcast, which covers the Secret Origins comic from the 1980s. I've also got two other shows: Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Awesome. I expect a. Uh special episode of the Gimme the Star Wars podcast because just discuss, you and Mark just discussing the parallels between Green Lantern and Star Wars. <laughs> I'll listen to that episode. We'll put that one on the books at some point. Yes, you will. <laughs> to, to be fair, I did listen to your other episode. Well, thank you. 
You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. We're going to take a quick promotional break, and when we come back, we will give your thoughts on the final night event as a whole for our listener feedback. Thanks, Ryan, for coming on by. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you very much, Ryan. Always a pleasure. For sure, for sure. We know we know, uh, we, we could not do this without you, particularly because you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have tried. <laughs> uh, I believe when I see it. Or hear uh, it. <laughs> that's true. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Superman, Blue Beetle, Captain Marvel, Firestorm, The Crimson Avenger, Batman, Halo, Guy Gardner, The Sandman, Shadow Lass, Dollman, The Star-Spangled Kid, The Flash, The Phantom Stranger, Power Girl, Hawkman, Fury, The Challengers of the Unknown, Nightwing, The Whip, Johnny Thunder, The Suicide Squad, Deadman, The Spectre, Warlord, Amazing Man, Our Man, Adam Strange, Doctor Occult, The Doom Patrol, Captain Comet, Green Lantern, Uncle Sam, The Guardian, Batgirl, Doctor Mid, Jonah Hex, Black Con, The Manhunter, The Guardians of the Florops, Blue Devil, Doctor Fate, The Legion of Super, The Secret Origins Podcast. Covering every issue of DC's Secret Origins comic from the 1980s. Hosted by Ryan Daly and a multitude of guests from the podcast and blogging community. Secret Origins Podcast. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins, and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue. Tie in by tie in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. This is Daryl Banks, and whether it's brightest day or blackest night, you should be listening to the Lantern Cast. All right, guys, we are back from break. Ryan couldn't stick around for the uh, <laughs> the listener feedback. I guess he gets enough of it on Secret Origin. <laughs> so, plus, plus, we, plus, it was a long episode. That's true. That's true. So uh, he, he could not take any more excitement. Uh, we asked you guys several days in advance, several weeks in advance, as a matter of fact, what you thought of Final Night, the, uh, the event we just talked about. Uh, all about uh, the death of Hal Jordan. Big moment in Hal Jordan's history and in Green Lantern history in general. Uh, so, since we gave you guys several weeks notice, we got two emails. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We'll be berating you about this for a long time. <laughs> Until episode 300. So, uh, we're, But we're going to tackle it anyways because there were two of you kind enough to send us in some some thoughts on it. So we really, really, really wanted to uh, thank you guys uh, and uh, for that, and we'll definitely uh, be talking about those now. So, Mark, you're going to take the first one, right? I'm going to take the first one with the mysterious from Mysterious JL. <laughs> Not GL, but JL. 
Uh, hey, fellas, long-time listener, love the podcast. Thank you. Man, final night. For me, I see this along with Zero Hour and Midsummer's Nightmare, steps that led, at least in the then-DC continuity, to the formation of the Big Seven Justice League in JLA and, and an official status post-crisis. And for me, it was even bigger because since I had begun reading comics in 1991, uh, I had never read a current comic prominently featuring the big guns in such a way. Someone was always missing in prior big events or not as, as involved. Now, as far as it relates you know, to the Green Lanterns, I felt it gave pretty good closure that Hal Jordan somehow came to terms and amends with both rest of the heroes and seemed to establish a rapport of sorts with Kyle. And obviously his sacrifice at the end of the story helped redeem him as a hero. Well, don't know if I ran too long. You didn't. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Thanks, guys, and keep up the good podcast. What the hell was Midsummer's Nightmare? I kind of vaguely remember that when I read it. I, when I read it on, on his email, but I can't I, – I almost can picture some art in my mind for the cover art, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what that story was about. Hmm. But obviously it was, must have been another 90s one, uh, probably based on when he started reading comics. It had to be early 90s, so maybe I'll look, maybe I'll look that up when you're reading, your, when you're reading yours. Uh yeah, I mean, I think most most of the thoughts that he echoed are, are are pretty true. I mean, you did have you didn't have anybody really. I don't think you had any major any major character that was really completely absent. I think from from Final Night, not any of the main ones anyway. Uh, like the for the ones you think of with the Justice League. Even though was Aquaman was Aquaman in that? Uh, I'm trying to remember that. No, I'm trying to remember. I was going thinking back off the top of my head. I don't. I don't kind of remember a scene with Aquaman, but uh, either way, but you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, you know, The Flash, they, they, they I think they were, they were represented. Uh, how, I mean, it kind of was a nice, it was a nice, though temporary conclusion, I think, to Hal's relationship with Kyle, because he and Kyle always had a good rapport. They always, there was always a grudging respect between the two of them, and, and we've talked about this before. They just were based on circumstances, were almost always put on opposite sides, but. You know, but Kyle kind of respected what Hal was and what he had been, and and Hal kind of respected that Kyle was carrying on the legacy and was so wide-eyed and, and innocent and kind of envied, almost wish he could be in that position again. Yeah, I mean, we know we know Hal's sacrifice was it it was it was appropriate. It certainly was based on DC wanted from Hal and what you know what they thought they they needed from that character. I think. If even if it was mostly, you know, reading between the lines to just try to get the Kyle Hal debate off the shelf, I mean, off the plate, and not have to deal with it anymore, as far as they were concerned at the time, forever, just, you know, push it away, you know, don't deal with it. But still, it was the only thing I I've always thought about the ending is that it just it's kind of, as far as deaths go, it was kind of lame, because you don't see hmm. him die, and the only real proof that he did die was because some telepath lost track of his thoughts. You know, so that, that kind of was always kind of lame to me. It seemed like there were so many ways that they had wanted to bring him back by not saying that he, by him not actually dying. Down, I think they could have done that too. I don't think you needed a day of judgment to be able to bring Hal back. I'm not saying it was the wrong way to go, considering everything that you know, connecting all the dots. Now, maybe it was, maybe it was fine. But that's the one thing from a, even when I was reading it at the time, I said as, as far as comic book deaths go, that's pretty ambiguous. But that's 
one of the things I, I always remembered specifically about the sacrifice. Uh, it looks like Midsummer's Nightmare was a, like a three-issue story thing, okay. written by Mark Wade. Uh, I think it was when the the JLA, not Justice League of America, but the JLA title, the, the that that group of characters came together for the first time. I think it might have been their first storyline. Cool. <clears throat> All righty, next email. Next email. All right, this is from a Richard Green, I believe. Yes. Um. It is entitled, What Do I Remember slash Enjoy About DC Comics Final Night Event? Good morning, members of the Lantern cast. Sorry for the late reply. Raising quadruplet three-year-old girls is a full-time... Raising quadruplet three-year-old girls, full-time military, and a ton of back issues to read. I kind of get lost in time, but I am going to throw down in a quick email exactly what uh, was most memorable for me about the Final Night event. So to go ahead, uh, so going ahead uh, to how young I am, I had started reading Green Lantern when I was roughly five or six, which would have placed the year around 1988 to 89. So I can definitely fall into that category of kids who say they used comics to escape the day-to-day drone of life. And I have always been infatuated with Green Lantern, initially with Hal Jordan, which then led me to learn more about the history, ultimately leading me to my true love of Alan Scott which is neither here nor there. The reason I bring it up, though, is because anyone who really remembers or started with Green Lantern learned more about Hal Jordan and how he was the pinnacle of the Green Lantern mythos. So with the events leading up to the whole parallax consumption absolutely floor-dropping, I mean, how could one character we come to know and connect with become something so evil? Now let's go to Final Night. We all know it's about the Sun Eater coming to literally devour our sun, which will ultimately kill off the inhabitants of Earth, huge, a huge crisis which requires all the superheroes and some villains to team together to try and stop this, although Lex Luthor still turns out to be a coward only looking out for himself. But we finally come to the climax where all the other plans have failed and they have one last shot to save Earth, though it will result in a ridiculous flood if it succeeds. Bring in Parallax, the once-famed Hal Jordan, the last person anyone would have thought to do something of this magnitude. He literally sacrifices himself to absorb Sun Eater and using all his power to restore everything back to its original uh, status. Could you not ask for a better reception story? So with Final Night, not only do we have the massive reception story... uh, I think he means uh, redemption, I think. uh, Yeah, redemption story... Uh, but we also get the chance to see some pretty impactful things happen. Oliver, Oliver Queen coming back, how Jordan's body being rescued, and for the time Kyle Rayner actually getting to do something awesome with Green Lantern during Rebirth. You have to admit, with something of this magnitude, it was pretty epic. Definitely top five events in my book. I won't really count Kingdom Come since it's doing with uh, since it's kind of like an Elseworlds and all that and of course blackest night and brightest day being near the top final night had a pretty significant impact on not on not on dc comics but the green lantern uh, not only dc comics but the green lantern mythos as well turned out to be a little longer than i had planned but hopefully my message gets across i hope you guys all have a blast and i can't wait for the next cast good rhyming yeah and he uh signs it with uh richard green and he uh I guess his signature, because I don't think he typed this, 
His signature is the original Alan Scott Oath, and I shall send my light over dark evil, for dark things cannot stand the light, the light of the Green Lantern. So, shout out to uh, Alan Scott and Martin O'Dell there. Oh, and speaking of Nodell, uh, Jack- Jackie Nodell got engaged. So yes. Congratulations, Congratulations. Jackie. Yeah. Not that that has to do with Final Night, but still. No, true, <laughs> true. Not, not trying to be ominous here. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting that that he found Alan Scott kind of like the way I found Hal Jordan. <laughs> In a kind of roundabout way, he went through Hal Jordan to get to Alan Scott. I went through Kyle to get to Hal Jordan. <laughs> It's a small world. Oh, we appreciate your service, Richard, by the way. Yes. Just, uh, as both being in the military and as evidently a father. Yes. <laughs> raising three girls is probably one thing. Raising three quadruplet girls is probably quite another. Yeah, we appreciate your procreation as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I th- his, th- you know, his thoughts are pretty strong straight on uh i think uh yes the fallout the fallout from final night you know had a lot of a lot of impact in the dc universe more than probably anybody would have thought at the time you know uh, how went to go visit ollie's grave and at the time you probably didn't think you know you didn't really think too much of that and then of course you found out that that was a moment when ha- when he pretty much went on his rather obscure journey to find dna of ollie to be able to clone him and bring him back it set the stage for for Hal being in the sun. Set the stage for his body, as was as Richard mentioned, for Hal's body still being there. Why it's in a coffin still was never a really good explanation. But the fact that you know Hal's physical body was protected and they needed that to you know in rebirth, and of course the death led to Hal becoming the Spectre. So there were there yeah there was a lot of fallout from uh, Final Night. I think it's, and I think because of the impact of of Hal Jordan's death, I think that's that's it's still a relatively memorable storyline. I think. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the emails, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, Seriously. absolutely. All right, man. That's gonna put a cap on this episode, ready or not. So, you want to tell people how they can reach us? I will tell people how to reach us. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Visit our website, lanterncast.com. Get our latest episodes, get our blogs, uh, our latest blogs when we post one, our latest Ring Cyclopedia episodes, Dark Star reviews, all the previous episodes of the Lantern Cast should the links now should be all available, and we've tr- I've tried to do some organizing, uh, like all the mosaics should be where they belong and things like that. So it should be a little more organized and easier to access now from an archive point of view. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us in any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so please leave us a positive review on any or bo- or both platforms if you listen to us on. Uh, last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys, next episode, Maybooks. So Woohoo! The new 52 you know. is dead. <laughs> so, uh... Ding dong, I was thinking that, too. <laughs> uh, anyway. Get some munchkins! All right, guys, uh, next episode, like I said, uh, Maybooks, and we'll talk about that, so get your books ready, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>